0: Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1st Timothy chapter 5. 1st Timothy chapter 5. We continue our study through the pastoral epistles. Now, we have to remember, uh, this is pastor to pastor. Uh, now, not run of the mill pastor. This is senior pastor Paul to junior pastor Timothy. For 14 years, Little Timmy has been inside of this very, very special bubble of Paul. If you're listening for the first time, make sure you listen to our prior studies on the pastoral epistles and also all the way back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 because you'll learn about maturing in Christ, the beauty of maturity in Christ, and then also the danger of not maturing in Christ. Um, in here in first Timothy chapter five, uh, we get into church governance. Now, a lot of times people place heavy emphasis on Matthew 18 for church government. Me personally, I think it's a cop out. Now, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, oh my goodness, man, he said Matthew 18 is, is, is a cop out. But if you've been with walking with us for a while, You know exactly what I mean. A lot of times what happens in churches today is that they use, they place heavy emphasis on Matthew 18 for church governance. And the reason why I say it's a cop out or oftentimes a cop out is because you have carnal pastors, uh, who attempt to apply carnal means to something that needs to be addressed spiritually according to the spirit. Um, And, you know, as the spirit leads and as the spirit guides and as the spirit grows and expands a, a, a fellowship in knowledge, in truth and with the gifts of the spirit in love feast, you don't see that today in a lot of churches. You see it in some areas and in some cases and it is going to grow fewer and fewer as we get further into the events of the last days. But when you read the book of Acts, there is a disconnect with the church today. And when I say disconnect, you know, it, 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 you're you're in the church today and you go to any church and then you read the book of Acts. And it's like, well, wait a second. How come we don't see the, the gifts of the spirits today like we do in the book of Acts? why is now you see you you see the mockery of it i mean you see like you 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 go into a church and they say well you know the spirit is coming down and they have glitter on the rafters and people have their hands up and they worship they call it glitter and you know it's like well this is not the holy spirit the holy spirit isn't glitter you see and you hear me say this and you might be listening for the first time like what in the world is this guy talking about well this is happening this is happening Bethel, Redding, California, where they also go grave soaking. You see? Now, of these pastors, when you get into certain doctrines or, you know, what you see on TV, TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, what you see in, you know, a lot of churches today, a lot of these pastors are disqualified according to what the Bible says. You know, sometimes people hear me say, well, pastor's disqualified. Who does this guy think he is? But when you look at the Bible and you study the Bible and you look at the word of God, there are specific parameters for pastoral leadership. Very specific. This is why we say, you know, the full package. You know, not package one, not package two, not package three, the full package. Now, if you're listening the first time, you're like, what? Full package? What in the world is this guy talking about? But when you listen to our prior studies, you understand what full package means. And not only that, You see the safety behind the full package. You see, for a Christian in the early church, for a Christian to submit themselves to Paul, beautiful. For a Christian to submit themselves to Timothy, beautiful. But for a Christian to submit themselves to Hymenaeus, ugly, dangerous. You see, it is a biblical truth to Submit to a pastor because they watch out for your soul. It's a biblical truth. But at the same time, understand that biblically, there are pastors who watch out for their own belly. They watch out for their own wallets. They watch out for themselves, you see. And don't forget that pastors, elders, overseers can become wolves. And also don't forget that Satan has his ministers who present themselves as ministers of righteousness. Very important. You see? I mean, when you study the scriptures and you see these things and you understand these things, and you realize, like, oh my goodness, like, I can't submit myself to this guy who says, take the mark of the beast and I'll still be saved. No way. He can say it all he wants, but I'm not going to submit myself to that. And when you study the scriptures, you understand, oh, my goodness, I can't submit to the grave soaker. Yeah, he calls himself a pastor, but he's taking people grave soaking to go lay in grave sites. Now, if you're listening for the first time, what grave soaking is, it, what, 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 the, the, what churches do and pastors, what they do is they tell their, their congregation. They say, we're going to go lay on grave sites, literal grave sites like cemetery. They go to the cemetery and sometimes they have their youth group and they, they get in a, a church bus and they go to the cemetery. And they go and they go pick the, the 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 tombstones of, you know, godly people. You know, what, what they deem, usually it's in that same doctrine, but what they deem, who they deem as godly. And they find the tombstone. And then what do they do? They lay on the ground in front of the tombstone. They call it grave soaking. And the whole purpose behind that, for them, but the purpose behind that is so that the spirit that was in these Dead people who, you know, know, I'm not the judge, you know, they might be asleep and, you know, you know, they might be in paradise. But what's happening now, you know, that's for the Lord to determine of, of those who have died. But what these pastors are doing is they go to these grave sites and they tell Christians to lay on the grave, lay on the ground, and they want to soak up the spirit in these dead people. And let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is not among the dead. The Spirit of the Lord is with the living. And when you read the Bible, text, context, codex, Old Testament, New Testament, you understand the character and nature of our Lord, and you realize that is an abomination. It's an abomination, straight up. The Lord never changes. It's an abomination. Why in the world do pastors get away with what they get away with? Why? Doctrinally speaking. And the reason why is because doctrinal immaturity. People don't know their Bibles Biblical illiteracy, people don't know their Bibles. They sit in the pews and they listen and they figure, wow, okay, this guy went to seminary. This guy has his bachelor's degree in theology. This guy went to this you know, theological school and wow, he has a doctorate in theology. I'm going to submit myself to him because the Bible says that I should submit to a pastor. So I'm going to submit myself to him without realizing that the Bible says, don't you dare submit yourself to the wolf. Don't you dare submit yourself to the hireling. This is a one-on-one letter. Paul to Timothy. Old man Paul to young man Timothy. Senior Pastor Paul to junior Pastor Timothy. A one-on-one letter. The letter got leaked. The letter got leaked. You know who leaked it? The Lord. Because he wants you and me to know what are the biblical qualifiers so that we know, okay, it is safe to submit myself to this pastor. It is safe to submit myself to this pastor over here, to this pastor over here, these elders. It is safe because they are watching out for my soul. But to submit to the wolf, to submit to the hireling, to submit to the minister of who the someone who who presents themselves as ministers of righteousness, but really they serve their father, the devil. That can never be done. A one-on-one letter, and it's the Lord who leaked it because he wants us to know the formula. You see? It's very important. Now, if you're listening the first time, you're like, well, you you know, it's no big deal. This guy's a little too hardcore, but I'll keep listening. Now, you know, praise the Lord that you'll keep listening. But at the same time, you see the danger behind the defunct pastor in our study through the Corinthian letters. It's a huge danger, the defunct pastor's. And yes, there are defunct pastors. In the early church, there were defunct pastors, defunct elders. Today, there are defunct pastors, defunct elders. And so here in this study, this one-on-one letter in 1 Timothy chapter 5, we see a, 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 a picture of church governance. Paul saying to Timothy, like, you know, do this, do this, do this, do this. It's within sanctuary. And when I say sanctuary, it's not like, you know, a brick and mortar sanctuary. When I say sanctuary, it's among the remnant. Leaven addressed. You see? Remember, this is Paul to Timothy. Leaven, sin, trespass must be addressed. It must be addressed. Now, if you're a pastor, an elder... Leaven, sin, trespass must be addressed no matter how difficult it is. Because you yourself are in submission to Jesus Christ, who is the head pastor of his church, not your church. If you're a pastor, not your church, the Lord's church. He is the head pastor, you see? And in submission to him, sin has to be addressed. Trespass has to be addressed. Leaven has to be addressed. You know, always in love, always with grace, mercy, and love as an overseer. But when it's not addressed, the leaven starts to grow and the leaven starts to spread. And that's how apostasy enters the church. That's how Christians become apostate. Because pastors who refuse to submit themselves to the head pastor, Jesus Christ. Remember, this letter that got leaked by the Lord, this one-on-one letter, Paul to Timothy. These are men who are not like the average bear. See, not not run-of-the-mill pastors. Look at their walk. Look at their hands. Look at the steps of their feet. Look at their speech when Paul says, you know, I have no one who sincerely cares. There is no one as like-minded who sincerely cares for your faith, sincerely cares for your soul. That's what Paul says of Timothy. Very special duo that we see here. And it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And under their covering, under the covering of Paul, you see how beautiful the church was. Under the covering of Timothy, well, you know, we, we don't we have a little historical picture, but like a, like in in church history, but in in you know in, in accordance to the Word of God, we just understand that you know uh, that Timothy was under Paul, and when, when Paul dies, it's like wow, Timothy, he's like you know on a a, a beautiful path, uh, not just a beautiful path, but on his way to paradise. It is safe to submit to to Timothy. You see. Just like we see in the Old Testament, if you're if you're listening, if you listen to our studies on Wednesday, our study through the Old Testament, you see Israel under Joshua and the elders. It's beautiful, but don't forget that Joshua himself was under Moses. You see, and Moses in teaching and pouring in, Joshua remaining undefiled, and now look, now he's leading the camp of Israel. I mean. In our study in the Old Testament, same thing. Just like we see Moses unto Joshua, we see Paul unto Timothy. Leadership matters, you see. And so, all of a sudden, we get into First Timothy chapter five, verse one, and Paul says to Timothy, one-on-one letter. This isn't, you know, this isn't, you know, when you read the past uh, the the church epistles. Like, you know, Ephesians, Philippians, Corinthians, Thessalonians, letters that are to churches. You see, there is a certain uh, ebb and flow and, you know, wordings that Paul uses. But then when he speaks to singular, when he speaks to uh, Timothy, when he speaks to Titus, it's a little different. In some cases, and some topics, very different. Because these are the overseers. Paul isn't speaking to the field. He's speaking to the workers. He says here in verse 1, Do not rebuke an older man. Do not rebuke an older man. Some translations say elder, but when you look at verse 1 and verse 2, it's, you know, in terms of like men and women, young and old. This isn't the elder in terms of like governance in the church, like the actual elders in the church. This is just like old, old people. This is, you know, not a a blanket statement, you know, but, you know, to, to not rebuke. Because depending on the fruit, depending on the flesh, but what's to rebuke within the remnant? What's to rebuke within the remnant? I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, and if you haven't, purpose in your heart to listen to our prior studies, especially going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and then get yourself caught up. You do see where Paul rebukes in First Corinthians chapter 5. Where Paul says, you know, you guys gathered together, but you guys, your rejoicing isn't good. Your rejoicing is not a good thing. Why? Because of leaven in the camp. And so Paul says to the remnant, okay, remnant, now you have to separate. Separate from the leaven. And even when the leaven was separated, there was still rebuking where, you know, do I praise you in this? No, I did not praise you in this. Remember when he said our study in first Corinthians, do I praise you in this? I do not praise you in this. Do I praise you in that? I do not praise you in that little tap taps. Because the saints were previously in a, in becoming defiled because of the leaven and the works of the flesh. Now, Understand that there's this three year time period by which there was no growth and maturity. For three years, arrested development, there was no growth and maturity in Christ, and it came at a heavy cost. But then when you get into Second Corinthians, there's something you start to see when you make the comparison between First Corinthians, understanding leaven and remnant, and then you get into Second Corinthians, you see the rebuking starts to stop. See? Because it's the remnant. And that's what I mean when we say, you know, uh, w- w- what's worth rebuke among the remnant? You see? Now, among the remnant, you're going to have, you know, baby believers, adolescent believers, you know, adult believers and mature believers and then also deadly believers. Now, when I say that, you you know, if you've been listening for a while, you know exactly what I mean. But if you're listening for the first time, I don't mean in terms of a 2-year-old, you know, according to the flesh or an 80-year-old according to the flesh. I'm talking about spiritual maturity where you can have a 50-year-old who is a spiritual baby and you can have a 12-year-old who is a, a, a spiritually mature. That doesn't have anything to do with age according to the flesh, but it's maturity in Christ. When you understand that framework of within a church body, you're going to have milk drinkers. You're going to have the Cheerio eaters. You're going to have the little pieces of chicken eaters, chicken tender eaters. And then you're going to have like the straight up, you know, ribeye steaks, tri-tip eaters. Because you have varying levels of maturity in Christ. Now, when he says here in verse 1, do not rebuke an older man. Remember, it's like, you know, uh, what rebuke is there within the remnant? Remember the rugby match in our study in, 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 in the book of Romans? You see? And then all of a sudden we see here the love, the care, and the tender mercies placed upon the saints. Worker unto field. Just as Paul unto Corinth. Paul unto Ephesus. Paul unto Philippians. Now it's Timothy unto the church. Timothy unto saints. Timothy unto believers. Remember, one-on-one, pastor to pastor, not run-of-the-mill pastors. He says, but exhort him as father. Exhort him as father. I mean, we're still in verse one, and do you see the beauty of this? You start to see how there's a different family. Family not according to the flesh. We all have biological family according to the flesh. But this is deeper. Spiritual family, according to faith. Exhort him as father, he says. You see? Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters with all purity. This is so beautiful. This is family. This is koinonia. Now sometimes, you know, people can say it all they want. Oh, we're church family. You're my brother in Christ. You're my sister in Christ. Oh, you know, we're, we're church family. But there's very specific ingredients to church family. We're talking remnant. We see in verse 2 with all purity, which is in all cleanliness and all cleanness and purity and perfection. You see, and I love this so much in all purity. And when you understand the formula, you see how beautiful this is and how beautiful it can be in a fellowship. And when you understand the flow, I mean, take Paul, beautiful, beautiful Paul and take Chloe Beautiful, beautiful Chloe. You take just them two. And you put them in a room together, alone. Paul and Chloe, male and female. You put them two in a room, all by themselves, alone. Do you know how beautiful that fellowship is going to be? No funny business. And I, I don't mean to suggest any kind of funny business, but I'm just saying. Do you know how beautiful that fellowship is? You have male and female alone. Nobody else. Paul and Chloe. Just them two alone. Do you know how beautiful that fellowship is? That can't be said of just anybody. You take a pastor off the street. I'm, you know, off the street, but you know, off out of any church. You take a pastor out of any church, and you take a female out of that church where he pastors, you put them two alone in a room. Now, according to the flesh, do you know how ugly things can be with them two? Do you know how disgusting things can be with them two, according to the flesh? Now, when you look at the two rooms, In one room is Paul and Chloe. In the other room is, you know, Joe Schmoe Pastor and Jane Schmoe Sheep. Do you know how ugly and nasty? I mean, you look at the two rooms. Both, Both rooms contain Christians. But there's something way different about the room that contains Paul and Chloe. They can pray together, they can fellowship, they can laugh, they can worship, they can study, they can share one another's burdens, they can grieve together, they can rejoice together. That's love feast. But you take the other room with the -the run-of-the-mill pastor and the -the run-of-the-mill sheep. You see? And we see here in verse 1 and 2 the beauty of this fellowship, male and female. A, 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 an older man exhort him as father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. You see? With all p- That can't be said of just any church. Look at Corinth. Corinth was so bad. When you read 1 Corinthians 5, you listen to our study from 1 Corinthians 5 and it was very, very difficult to touch on and study and speak of because Paul says there is so much sin in this fellowship that not even the Gentiles do this. Not even the non-believers do this. That's what he says. Not even the non-believers do these things that are happening among Christians. You know what's happening? There was a guy in the church of Corinth that was having sex with his dad's wife. Sex with his dad's wife. Sex with his dad's wife. Inside the church. Now it takes two to tango. You take that lady. Now you put you put that lady in a room with Paul. Now, Paul's not going to touch her with a 10-foot pole. But at the same time, what could she say about Paul? She could say anything. Oh, Paul did this. Paul did this. Paul did this. But is it true? You see? And these are things that we're going to touch on this uh, order in the fellowships. You see? Look at the defunct pastors, the defunct elders of Corinth. It's very dangerous For those Christians It was very dangerous To submit to those pastors And they were submitting To those pastors Not all of them Look at beautiful Chloe I mean I can I could picture Paul sa- Saying to Chloe You know uh, uh, Chloe You know Stay here with me With this other lady Not because of what Paul You know Not because of anything Paul would do But because of what This lady could say Paul did you see wisdom it's the framework of holiness this framework of holiness and formula it must be understood because it will help you overseers pastors elders these things that we study these holy matters that we study it will help you shepherd the flock of God now if you don't do it you know Hello Lake of Fire I mean you know let let there let not many be teachers there's a heavy cost of being defunct heavy heavy cost I mean if you're a pastor if you're an elder, if you're an overseer and you're not up the snuff according to the formula I mean that door to the lake of fire is open is in play you see and rightfully so. Because that's what the Word of God teaches. Jesus Christ is the head pastor. I mean, you look at the carnality in the church today. Pastors who have sexual relations with the congregant congregation, women, children, homosexuality, other men. You know, child molestation. Pastors that are doing this. You know, they. You know. It, it, You see it in the fellowship too, you know, like, you know, field, you know, in the field. But worker to field? That's wolf. We're talking wolf territory. With all purity, in verse 2. Where is purity to be found in these last days? Where is purity to be found? You see, leadership matters. For a pastor to stand at the pulpit... And teach so that people can know. The women could know that, you know, in submission to their husbands, the, the formula has to be right. Because when their their husbands are in submission to Jesus Christ, then the wife knows, okay, now it's safe to submit to my husband. But the husband goes off and does his crazy business, his sex, his drugs, his alcohol, his no matter what, anything that's wicked, Now, it is unsafe for that wife to submit herself to her husband, but it is safe to submit herself to the better husband, which is Jesus Christ. Kids. Kids who need to understand formula, holy formula, holy recipe. So that when, you know, dad says, hey, son, go, you know, go to the corner and buy me some crack, the son can say, hey, you know, I love you, pops, but no, that's not happening. Because I'm I'm in submission to Jesus Christ. I respect you. You know, you're my dad and I respect you and I honor you. But this sin, I cannot honor. And I will not do. And the son is in submission to Jesus Christ. You see, dad can go off and do his crazy business. But as for you, young child, my young brother in Christ or my young sister in Christ. No, you're holy before the Lord. Everybody makes his choice. Everybody makes her choice. You make your choice. And you stand firmly in the Lord, understanding formula. And when we understand formula, now overseers can ensure that the formula, the holy recipe is right within a congregation, within sanctuary. And when you have that, now it is safe for saints to exercise the, gifts of the spirits and bearing one another's burdens. But you take the guy in Corinth who's having sex with his dad's wife and you put him alone in a room with, you know, a lady and she thinks that she's going to bear, you know, burdens. Do you know how dangerous it is for that lady? A sister in Christ? A blood-bought soul? There's a very special, holy formula and recipe that must be followed for love feast. Gifts of the Spirit. And because you don't see gifts of the Spirit today like you see in the book of Acts, what does that say of the condition of the churches? What does that say of doctrine that is being taught? And people make excuses today. And they say, well, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that anymore. That was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. You know why they say that? Because they're making excuses for their powerless lives. They're making excuses. When you read the Bible, you do not see an expiration date on the moving and the power and the the, the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Look at how beautiful this church family is in verse 1 and 2. An older man who's exhorted as a father. I mean, everybody has their, the, 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 their, their dads according to the flesh. The biological dads or their biological father figures. Everybody has their biological moms or biological mother figures. But this is different. This is according to the faith. Remnant. As father, younger men, as brothers, older women, as mothers, younger women, as sisters, with all purity. You see? Honor widows, he says in verse 3. Honor widows. Now, this isn't just a blanket statement to, you know, honor all widows. This is honor widows who are really widows. That's That catches a lot of people off guard. It shouldn't because, you know, the the text has been written for thousands of years. Honor widows who are really widows. Now, we have biblical qualifications for those who are really widows. See, the world has qualifications too. I mean, a lady whose husband has died is a widow, according to the world. But according to the church... Yes, a lady whose husband has died, but now there's biblical qualifiers in place. You see, a lot of ladies today use church as a retirement plan. Guilt tripping the pastors with a sob story and a lot of pastors fall for it. See, oh, pastor, my husband died. So the Bible says that you have to support me. You know, uh, orphans and widows, orphans and widows. And the Bible says you have to support me. And a lot of women, they use the church as a retirement plan. Well, you got to support me, Pastor, because that's what the Bible says. You know, Uh, orphans and widows, orphans and widows. You see, you want to make sure you're following the Lord, don't you, Pastor? Well, the Bible gives us specific qualifiers. Yeah, a lady might be a widow, according to the world. And according to the faith let's see if she's really a widow what are the biblical qualifiers in verse 4 but if any widow has children or grandchildren let them first learn how to show piety at home or show respect and reverence at home and to repay their parents you see now remember this is within the body within a holy body within the remnant wisdom is required because today Not just today, but, you know, for many, many, many years. There have been the guilt trippers, the busybodies, the meddlers, the evil workers, and even the demonic. Also understand that in the last days, as we get further into the events of the last days, and the 70th week of Daniel, also remember that a man's enemies, a person's enemies, a saint's enemies, will be in your own home. And so we continue in verse four. If any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn how to show piety at home and repay their parents for this is good and acceptable before God. In the presence of the Lord is how it translates. In the presence of the Lord. You see, he sees. He knows you you can fool anybody, but you can't fool God. You see, you cannot fool the Lord. He sees, he sees it all. He knows everything. And not just he sees it all like he sees like you know this and that. No, he tests the motives. He knows the motives. He knows why somebody did this, somebody did that. He knows why. He knows the motives. You see? He knows the heart. He knows the mind. A lot of times, you know, people get caught in sin. And it's like, wow, well, you know, I got found out. So, you know, I repented. I got right with the Lord and all these things. And the Lord, the whole time, number one, the Lord, the whole time, he saw the whole thing. He witnessed the whole thing. But then, number two, he knows the heart. He knows, no, this guy says he's sorry. This guy says that, but no, he, this was all premeditated. He, the, the Lord, no, you can't fool him. He knows. And in the presence of the Lord, there are things that are good and acceptable before him. One of them being is when children and grandchildren show piety at home and repaying their parents. You know, oh, mom, you know, dad died. You know, there's the moment of sorrow, moment of grief, you know, the period of time. Mom, you know, dad's dead. You know, don't worry, mom, we're going to take care of you. You see? Verse 5, now she who is really a widow, remember biblical qualifiers, and left alone. Now, today is a little different from, you know, 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. And not just 2,000 years, but even in, you know, in the uh, Old Testament days. But, you know, the, 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 the man was the bread earner. The man was like, you know, the head of the home. And, you know, when when a husband died, when a guy died who was married, that lady, the surviving spouse, was kind of really in a bad situation. And you see provisions in the law. I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form. But there's provisions in the law for that widow to be taken care of. You see? Provisions in the law for her to be taken care of successors in terms of inheritance, successors of inheritance to maintain inheritance. Provisions in the law. I mean, we see it with uh, Ruth and her husband and her next husband, you know, one of the most beautiful books, one of the most romantic, romantic books in the Bible. It's the book of Ruth. Beautiful. A picture of the better husband. An Old Testament example of the better husband. And so we see a widow here in verse 5. And you know, back in the day, you know, a husband died and if there was no successor and, you know, some, sometimes these women were really in bad, terrible and dire straits because she doesn't have a job. And, you know, if she doesn't have a job, then, you know, how is she going to earn income? How is she going to maintain, uh, you know, not just lifestyle, but I mean, like lifestyle in terms of staying under that same roof? How How is that going to happen? She's going to have to sell all her goods, move to another part of town, you know, and if she couldn't afford that, you know, move to, you know, wherever, even further away. And, you know, she's in dire straits and she needs money, so how is she going to earn income? And, you know, I don't want you get graphic or anything, but a lot of times, you know, there's certain methods of easy money, dirty money too, but... And I'm not trying to excuse this, but you see how these doorways open up for a fall, it happens. There's provisions in the law for widows to be taken care of. There's provisions under grace for the church, for widows to be taken care of. Children and grandchildren in the faith take care of mama. When dad dies, you see, this is good and acceptable before the Lord. In verse 5, she who is really a widow and left alone, so there's nobody. Then maybe they didn't have kids, maybe they couldn't have kids. Husband dies. Now what's going to happen to her? You know what's so beautiful? She who is really a widow in verse 5 and left alone. Trust in God. I love this. Trust in God. And continues in supplications and prayers night and day. I love this so much. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful women of faith. yes. The carnal husband has died not carnal husband like he was carnal I mean husband according to the flesh has died but there's a the better husband Jesus Christ and she continues in supplications and prayers day and night Now, there's a contrast to this beautiful widow. We see the contrast in verse 6. But she who lives in pleasure translates as luxury, pleasure, wantonness, without limitations, to lewdness and sexual excitement. I mean, the mindset would be like, wow, you know, my my husband is dead, you know, now I'm free to do this, I'm free to do that, and sensual and lustful proclivities included. You know, men do this too, but we're talking about women here, but men do it too. You see? She who lives in pleasure in verse 6 is dead while she lives. Remember Jesus when he called the disciples? Oh, let me go bury my family. No, let the dead bury the dead is what he said. What a shocking statement. Let the dead bury the dead. A shocking statement. But as you grow and as you mature, you start to understand it's living to be alive with complete and total disregard for holy things. Let the dead bury the dead. Same thing in verse 6. She who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Dead and dead with one person. The same person, dead and dead. No regard for spiritual things. And she lives in pleasure, you know, which is, you know, luxury, wantonness, you know, know, which opens the door into lewdness and sexual excitement. This is how it translates. Oh, husband's dead, now I can go to the bars. Husband's dead, now I can go to the ladies' night. Husband's dead, now I can go party. Contrast that with verse 5 woman. Where she's alone now. And yet, just the opposite. She trusts in God. And continues in supplication and prayers night and day. Look at this contrast from verse 5 and 6. In verse 5, you have this beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous, godly woman. And when, when I say beautiful, gorgeous, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, well, I can't believe he said that. But within the framework of formula, you know, we bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. But on top of that, in accordance to Philippians 4, verse 8, we meditate on things. Whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. These are the things that we meditate on. When I say beautiful and gorgeous... It's not in accordance to the flesh. It's beautiful and gorgeous according to the Spirit. Holy things. It's so beautiful to see righteousness and holiness in just one saint. It's so beautiful to see. What about in a family? What about in a church to see holiness? Yes in, in a church you're going to have the milk drinkers, you're going to have the, the meat eaters, you're going to have everybody in between. but to see holiness. It's so beautiful, like in Philippians. Remember Philippians when we, we, we make that distinction when you look at First Corinthians and you compare that to second or you compare that to Philippians. Big difference. They're all Christians. But there's a difference between the Philippian saints and the Corinthian saints. Pre-chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There's a big difference. You don't see separation in Philippians. Why? Because they have good teachers, good pastors, good elders, good overseers to shepherd them. Something that was lacking in Corinth. See? See? And so we continue in our study in verse 7. And these things command... Remember, one-on-one letter, Paul to Timothy, and Timothy now, he's a young pastor, and Paul is telling him to exercise that authority, not in a carnal sense, not like, you know, oh, I am pastor, and you will be my subjects, and the Bible says you have to submit to me, and so therefore, go clean the bathroom. The Bible says you have to submit to me, and so therefore, you know, make me some dinner. I'm going to come to your house and raid your fridge and all. That's carnal. Remember, Paul says of Timothy, there is no one as like-minded who sincerely cares for your soul. That's Timothy. When Timothy gives a command, yes, I'll say command. It's in holiness because he watches out for souls. Now it's, he's seen Paul do it, now it's his turn. Verse 7, Paul says, these things command that they may be blameless. You see, the objective is purity. The objective is not to show yourself like you're the authority figure. The objective is not self. If you're a pastor and you're listening, the objective is not to exalt self. That's the way of the fool. That's the way of the wicked. That's the way of those who will burn in hell. Don't do that. Speaking to pastors. see it's not self-exaltation if you're a pastor you do have authority in the fellowship the purpose is for them the purpose is for the saint so that they can be blameless so that they can be pure and you pastor You also have to be pure. You also have to be clean. You know why? Because only the clean can clean. That's why. Just like we see in the Old Testament. Only the clean can clean. New wine only comes from new wineskin. Only the clean can clean. Just like in verse 1 and 2. You know the example of Paul and Chloe. You take Paul and Chloe in a room. That's probably the most beautiful space in all the world. Fellowship. They can laugh. They can pray. No gossiping. They can talk about other brothers, talk about other sisters. Not for the sake of gossip, but for the sake that they can, so they can pray. Beautiful, beautiful fellowship. Paul and Chloe together. but you take run-of-the-mill pastor with one of the run-of-the-mill Christian male female you put them in a, in a room together will you find what is holy or will you find what is defiled? you see very specifically specific formula to holiness and the Lord the Lord lays it out. He teaches us he shows us in his word it's not it's not like you know it's you know it's difficult it's people who make it difficult but it's so simple abide in Christ you see and so we continue in verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, men, men, if anyone, in verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household. This is hardcore. Men, I love you, my brothers in Christ. I love you, I love you, I love you. But I marvel so much at the deadbeat dads. Deadbeat dads, losers, losers like Akins that kill the family. They hurt the church and they profane the name of Jesus Christ. All the while they're saying, you know, hashtag blessed, hashtag blessed, when they're on the path to judgment. You see? And in, in in verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his own and especially of those for those of his household, you know how that translates in the Greek is to provide for it's to pr- provide for it's to consider in advance. To consider in advance. I mean, you get married. Before you have kids, you, you make these considerations You have your first kid. You make these considerations. You see? But today we have deadbeat dads all around us. They watch their shows. They watch their, they play their video games. They watch their shows. Hashtag bless. Hashtag bless. And you know, baby girls starving. Deadbeats. Losers. Losers. Just like Achan was. We see here in verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his own and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith. You see? He has denied the faith, which is where faith becomes contradicted and rejected by one's action, by one's inaction the inaction of providing for his own. You see? And when that happens, the Bible says here in verse 8, and is worse than an unbeliever. This is happening inside the church. I mean, it it was happening inside the church back in the day. I mean, remember, this is Paul who's warning Timothy to look out for this be on the lookout for these things so that timothy when you see these things you can tell the men, hey man put on your big boy pants get off the bottle put on your big boy pants and go get a job you look in the mirror you look like an adult you got the you know the the hairy face you got the beard you got the muscles you got the deep voice but you're a little tiny boy put on your big boy pants and act like an adult be an adult go get a job Oh, I'm not going to flip burgers. That job is beneath me. No, there is there is honor in work that is unto the Lord. You work as unto the Lord. I don't care if you're flipping burgers. I don't care if you're a janitor. I don't care if you're a, you know, uh, uh, whatever, you know, uh, biochemist, you know. I don't care if you, whatever it is. I don't care if you make five bucks an hour or 500 bucks a minute. I don't care. There is honor in work when you work unto the Lord. And a lot of times you have little boys. They're men. They look like men, but they're little boys. Oh, I don't want to flip burgers. I don't want to be a janitor. I don't want to be a barista. I don't want to do this. I don't want to work here. I don't want minimum wage. I don't. Those jobs are beneath me. While baby girl is starving. Losers not just losers, achens. Not good. Because when that happens, such a man is denying the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You say, well, that's hardcore. Well, yes, it's hardcore. Remember, this the these these guys, speaking of Paul and Timothy, these guys are holy, but this is a one-on-one letter. This is Paul writing to Timothy. I don't think Paul had the expectation that this letter would be leaked. Maybe he did. Maybe he had that thought in his head that the Lord was going to leak it so that people could know. Maybe he did. But this is Paul writing to Timothy. Little Timmy, look out for these things. This is a prison letter of Paul. Old man Paul. Several years away from being beheaded. And he's writing, you know, about church family. The men, the old guys, the young guys, the old ladies, the young ladies, with all purity. It's beautiful, Timothy, you know, like family, church family. You know, not the biological family, but they're the spiritual family. You see? spiritual family heirs of abraham better than biological because according to spirit heavenly paradise little timmy you're going to have widows in the fellowship but you know let's you know let, let's look at those who are really widows i know the world says this about widows and they say that she's a widow she's a widow she's a widow she's a widow she's a widow, she's a widow but biblically only one is a widow Little Timmy, look out for these things. Paul to Timothy, one-on-one. Senior pastor to junior pastor. Two men not like the average bear. Two men who sincerely care for the faith of others. And now Paul is telling him about the boys who look like men. They got the beard, they got the muscles, they got the hairy chest, they got the deep voice. But the little tiny boys, why? Because they don't provide for their own household.
1: Oh, I don't want
0: to do this. I don't want to be a janitor. That job is beneath me. I don't want to work in a coffee shop. That job is beneath me. I don't want to flip burgers. That job is beneath me. You see? I don't want to be in housekeeping. That job is beneath me. When you work, work as unto the Lord. And when you do that, it is holy. It is beautiful. It is noble. And it is honorable. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you're making five bucks an hour or $500 a minute. if you don't do that men if you don't do that you're denying the faith you're worse than an unbeliever you see oh I didn't know I didn't know I didn't know well we've had the text for 2000 years give or take a couple years we've had the text shouldn't be a surprise Well, it's still a surprise. I never knew. Okay, okay. Well, now you know. Which means repent, get right with the Lord, and go get a job. You see? No more TV shows. No more video games. No. Get a job. Paul is telling Timothy, look out for these things. Just like there are deadbeats today in the church. There were deadbeats back then in the church. Remember, we just got done with the Thessalonian letters where Paul says, okay, listen, if you don't work, you don't eat. You don't want to work. You don't eat. You're not eating. You see? That's one thing if it's just a single guy. Hey, single guy, if you don't want to work, okay, die of starvation. But when you're married and you have kids and you still don't want to work, you're worse than an unbeliever. It's denying the faith. And not just an unbeliever, worse than an unbeliever. I mean, you know, so much for once saved, always saved. I mean, if you're Calvinist, that's even worse. I mean, it just obliterates your, 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 your doctrine. If you're Reformed theology, when they call it theology, I call it a theory, because it's only a theory. This is happening inside the church, and Paul is telling Timothy, look out for these things. Be on the lookout. So, when you see the deadbeat, A, talk to him. When you see the deadbeat, tell him. And you shouldn't see this a lot because you teach on it. Don't be a deadbeat. So that the men know, the men sitting in a congregation can hear, hey, you know, the Bible, you know, it's not good. The Bible says, don't be a deadbeat. Because if I'm a deadbeat, then I'm going to be worse than an unbeliever. And I don't want that. So, I'm going to work hard. And yeah, I'm just, you know, flipping burgers and I'm working minimum wage, but, you know, Hey, you know, it's honorable. I'm working as unto the Lord. You see, I know people that have started in minimum wage jobs, working as unto the Lord. And they've, they, they've advanced in a company, but they've never had to apply for it jobs were just offered hey we want you to work for us hey we want you to work on our team hey we want you here and if you you know with carnal eyes you see it's like wow you know he's really climbing the corporate ladder wow she's really climbing the corporate ladder but really what's happening it's god's favor managers and directors who say wow you know we see you you know minimum wage job started out minimum wage And managers and directors, wow, you know, we want you to work for our team. We want you to work here. We want you to work here. And all of a sudden, carnally speaking, you know, you look with carnal eyes. It's like, wow, he's really climbing the corporate ladder. She's really climbing the corporate ladder. But then you look spiritually. It's like, wow, he's just been working unto the Lord. She's working unto the Lord. And you see God's favor. You see who has despised the day of small things. A lot of times men, they just figure, well, you know, this job is beneath me and I need a job where I'm going to make at minimum $30 an hour. At minimum, you know, $25 an hour. At minimum. And I'm not going to do anything. Well, no. If you're working 5 bucks an hour, 10 bucks an hour, praise be to the Lord. Work as unto the Lord. It's a job. You see? But to not do it, It's denying the faith. It's denying the Lord who bought you. Now, there's another door. Because if that's the case, now we get into things demonic. When a person knowingly walks through that door, Now we enter the demonic. These are things that Paul, he's saying to Timothy, watch out for these things. Speak about these things. If you see a guy who's doing that, tell him. See? Talk to him. It's very important. You see, that's why... Like I said earlier, you know, sometimes people, pastors, use Matthew eighteen as a cop out. This is exactly why, because they're like, oh, we're, you know, we're the overseers of the church, and you know, we have, you know, we're a body of elders, and we're going to govern according to Matthew eighteen, and we're going to do all this, and oh yeah, we call the shots, all these things. But we would dare never tell a guy that he's a deadbeat. We would never tell a guy who's, you know, uh, uh, watching his shows and playing his video games and he's got a starving family. We would never tell him that he's a deadbeat. We would never tell him that he's a loser. We would ne- never tell him to put on his big boy pants and go get a job. We would never because that's not loving. You know what loving is? Loving is to say, hey, guy, if you're going to do this, you're denying the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. That's love. You know why? Because a person, a guy who's in that situation can hear that and realize, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. I need to repent, get right with the Lord. But a guy who never hears that, he's on the path to hell. I mean, it might not seem loving at first, but we're, if we're avoiding weeping and gnashing of teeth, you better believe that it's loving. But you have pastors today. Hirelings, scaredy cats, wolves, hirelings, they serve their belly. And in some cases, they serve their father, the devil. They don't want to hurt people's little feelers. Oh, I don't want to hurt this guy's feelers. So what if his family's starving? So what if baby girl is starving and she's dying of, the, you know, she, she, she hasn't eaten in weeks. She hasn't eaten in days. And what she does eat is she's so malnourished. And so what, you know, that I'm just going to be loving. And I'm not going to tell the guy that he's a loser. I'm not going to tell the guy that he's an aching. I'm not going to tell the guy that he's on the path to hell. I'm not going to tell the guy that he's denying the faith by doing that. I'm not going to tell the guy that he's worse than an unbeliever. You see? And such a person calls himself pastor. He can have the pastor parking spot. But you, you, you know the formula. You see a pastor refuse to teach on even the hard-hitting stuff, such as this. You know, hey, the guy's a loser who doesn't care for especially those of, he's a loser. He's denying the faith. He's like an Achan. He's worse than an unbeliever. A pastor doesn't say that. Do not submit to that pastor. It is not safe to submit to that pastor. I mean, if I was a loser, if I'm sitting in a church and I'm a loser and, you know, I got like starving kids and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just doing nothing all day, and you know, eating, you know, whatever I can scrounge up and just being a total dork and I'm a total loser and I'm a deadbeat. And I go to church and, you know, I hear the pastor say this. Wow. Now, at that point, immediately, I'm in the valley of decision. You see? Now I have a choice to make. So say, for example, I'm like a hardcore loser. I got kids and, you know, they're starving and I don't want to work. And I'm just a total deadbeat loser denying the faith. And I hear the pastor say, you know, hey, you're a loser. Put on your big boy pants and go get a job. And if I choose to submit myself to this pastor, and he says, hey, you're worse than an unbeliever. You better repent or you'd open the door for the lake of fire. And if I choose, as the Bible says, submit yourself to the pastor. And I submit to him. And I say, okay, Pastor, you're right. I'm going to repent, get right with the Lord. And then I'm going to go get a job. It's minimum wage, but it's a job. We might not be able to eat steak and lobsters, but, you know, we can have chicken tenders. It's fake chicken, but, you know, it's it's something. (laughs) Sprinkle it with some vitamins. It's not the cream of the crop, but it's something. Do you see how safe it is? Now, you know, I was loser, I was deadbeat, I was an unbeliever, I was denying the faith, and I submitted myself to this guy. And now, I've repented, I'm right with the Lord, I got a minimum wage job, we're eating chicken tenders as a family, and I'm right with the Lord. I go to my job, I'm working as unto the Lord. All of a sudden, the, ba- the boss says, well, you know, we want to put you in this position now. The favor of the Lord doors start to open. And all of a sudden, I'm not making minimum wage. Now we can buy the real chicken tenders, not the fake stuff that we have to sprinkle with vitamins. Now the real ones come automatically with the vitamins and the nutrients. Now we get some vegetables, some mashed potatoes. You see? It's still not steak and lobster. You see? That's godliness. Godliness. That's the hand of the Lord. But then you have a preacher guy who said who never says, hey guy, you know, if you don't wanna if, if you don't wanna provide for your family, provide for your household, you know, you know, that's okay, God is love. Oh, yeah, go ahead and watch TV. Oh, I like that show too. It's a good show. Oh, you don't know, play this video game. Oh, wow, that's a good cool video game. I like that. Because you have pastors today who want to be everybody's friend. Hey brother, yeah just watch this show. Oh yeah, I like this show. Hey brother, let's play this video game. Oh yeah, I like and instead of the pastor keeping the house clean you see people like oh he's a nice guy, he's a nice guy. But what does he teach? And the pastor's, oh, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelers. God is love. We're just going to love on, on, on you and that God take care of the rest. And people submit themselves to that pastor. Look at the men. Look at the fruit of it in the men. Deadbeats. You might have some workers in there, people who have their jobs, but you're going to have a whole bunch of deadbeats in there. They got their wives, they got their kids, kids, everybody's starving. Got their wife, got their kids, and a bunch of deadbeat dads, a bunch of Achan's. Look at the harm that's going to happen in that family, in that household. And on top of that, look at the harm it brings to the church. Remember Achan, or studying Achan, Joshua 7? Because of one man, look at the casualties upon Israel, because of one man. You see? I mean, if you're listening for the first time, listen to our study in Joshua 7 and Joshua 8. You'll understand more. You see? An old man, Paul, is writing to young man, Timothy. Watch out for these things. Remember, this is pastor to pastor. The letter got leaked by the Lord because the Lord wants us to know about this so that we know who to submit to in terms of who's a pastor. You see, the full package. Worse than an unbeliever. Remember last week when Paul says, let no one despise your youth because little Timmy, he's a young guy. You see, look out for this. And when you see it, you know, picture a deadbeat guy. You know, he's you know, 30 years old, 40 years old, whatever age. And he's, you know, a loser. He's a deadbeat. And then, you know, 22-year-old Timothy comes and says, Hey, you're a deadbeat. Now, pick, picture that, that you know, the, the old guy, the 40-year-old deadbeat, the 30-year-old deadbeat. I don't, I mean, come on. I'm older than you. I'm older than you, little Timmy. Timothy, who do you think you are? I'm older than you. Now, biologically, older. Spiritually, it's vice versa. Spiritually speaking, Timothy is more mature. Timothy is deadly. Spiritually speaking. You see? And then you have people who twist doctrine. Say you have 40-year-old deadbeat and 24-year-old Timothy. And 40-year-old deadbeat who's, you know, he's denying the faith and worse than an unbeliever. And the 40-year-old says, well, look at verse 1. I'm older than you, Timothy, and you're supposed to exhort me as father. You see how scripture can easily be twisted by Satan, by things demonic, by wickedness, by evil? Oh, little Timothy, I'm older than you. Look, I was an adult when you were just a little baby. I knew you when you were in diapers. Who do you think you are? I know the Bible more than you. Look, you know, you're supposed to exhort me as father because I'm older than you. How dare you rebuke me? Look, Timothy, you're in the wrong. Look, the Bible says don't rebuke an older man because you're supposed to exhort me as father. Timothy, you're in the wrong. You see? And Timothy, because he's spiritually mature, not just mature, he's deadly. He knows what he's working with. You see? If Tim not to suggest immaturity in Timothy, but just if he were. Think about his conscience. Like, oh, you know, is he right? Is this guy right? Yeah, he's older than me. And yeah, the Bible, you know, Paul says, you know, I'm supposed to exhort the older as father. Is he right and I'm in the wrong? You see? But Timothy knows, no, that's twisting scripture. Formula. Very specific. And so we continue. Understanding that Paul is saying to Timothy, Yes, look out for this. You're gonna have to speak on these matters. And keep the house clean. Keep the house of God clean. And I'm not stuck to, to, I'm not I'm not speaking about, you know, clean like, you know, like dust everything and make sure everything's nice and neat and there's no dust and you know, vacuum and clean this, clean that. Sometimes, you know, you see immaculate churches. But do you look at the fruit? It's like, whoa, this is disgusting. I'm talking about the opposite. Keeping the house of God clean. You see, people write before the Lord. You're going to have all kinds of variety of growth. You're going to have the milk drinkers. You're going to have the meat eaters and everybody in between. But that is sanctuary. You see, drinking milk is only temporary. When drinking milk becomes permanent, that's not good. Now we're getting into leaven territory, which is dealt with accordingly, according to the scripture. You see? And so we see here in verse 9. 9. Do not let a window under 60-year-old be taken into the number. Very interesting. I mean, you know, if, 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 if we factor in life expectancy, these were very old ladies. The younger don't count. Now, I'm not going to factor in life expectancy, but I'm just saying, you know, if, if we were to factor life expectancy, I mean, these are like super-duper old ladies. You know, 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, a lady who makes it to age 60, that is like super-duper old. I mean, according to the life expectancy tables in the early church age. But I'm just saying, if we were to do those tables and, you know, life expectancy charts, they would be super old ladies. But I won't do that. But we see here in verse 9, a widow under 60 year old, don't let her be taken into the number. So like age 59 and below, they don't count. I mean, if we were to factor in, you know, life expectancy tables, we might be talking like, you know, 79 and below. They don't count. But I'm not going to do that. They don't count. These younger ladies, younger widows, they don't count. And he says in verse 9, not unless she has been the wife of one man. Whoa, a lot of ladies are in trouble because they've had husband 1, husband 2, husband 3, husband 4. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Biblical qualifiers, you see. Multiple husbands? Sorry, does it count? You see? But there's more. In verse 10, well reported of good works, which is a good witness. A good witness Well reported for good works if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. You see, in all these things, wisdom is required and you must look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. It's not just a blanket statement if she has brought up children. Because, okay, so you have a widow. She raised children. But are all the kids on crack? You see, you look at the fruit. She raised kids. You know, they, they, all the kids are, you know, sex heads. You look at the fruit. Remember, we're talking about in the family of God. Where you have older men that are exhorted as father, younger men that are exhorted as brothers, older women that are exhorted as mothers, younger women that are exhorted as sisters with all purity. No funny business, no dirty business, nothing nasty, nothing gross, nothing wicked, nothing demonic. We're talking holiness. We're talking love feast within that framework as prescribed in Holy Scripture. You see? I mean, we see here in verse 10, if she has brought up children, but we look at the fruit, okay, who did she bring up? Are are all the kids crackheads? If she has lodged strangers, okay, but, She brought Joe Schmo into the home. Oh, I want to be a good Christian, so I'm going to lodge the stranger. The stranger's molesting the daughters? You see? Look at the fruit. If she has washed the saint's feet, but yes, she washed the saint's feet, but now they all got gangrene. You see? The formula must be holy with wisdom and understanding because when the formula is holy... Then the fruit is holy. You see, understand we're not saved by works. We are not saved by works. But being saved, there are works. Remember, Brother James? Faith without works are inseparable. You see? The world has qualifications to be a widow. But that's the world. But who are really widows? Who's really the widow? Not in accordance to the Old Testament either. According to the New Covenant. And so we see here in verse 11, but refuse the younger widows. Oh, you're so mean. Little Timmy, look, I'm a widow. My husband is dead. And, you know, I left my first husband and yeah, he was, you know, I didn't like him. I left my second husband. I didn't like him either. And I was looking for love and all the wrong places. And husband number three, I didn't like him either. Husband number four, you know, you know, oh, you know, that's the, I didn't like him either. Now I'm on husband number five. You say, look at the woman at the well. She had multiple husbands. Yeah, don't forget. Jesus says, don't go and sin no more. Once a person knows Christ and comes to Christ, it's like, okay, abiding in Christ, very specific formula. Sometimes you have people who make excuses. Well, the woman at the well, so she had multiple husbands. So therefore I can have multiple husbands. Well, you know, there wasn't husband number six and seven and eight and nine and 10 and 11 and 12. No. Once a person knows, it's like okay, this is you know hear say from time to time. I don't care about your past, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and all these things. I don't care about your past. Once you know Christ and you come to Christ and you commit your life to Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High, now there's order, and not just order. It sounds too official. About order, you know. No, it's not. It's Still waters and green pasture. There's a formula that we all have to apply in our lives. We're not saved by works, but understand that faith without works, it's dead. And you have Paul speaking to Timothy, or writing to Timothy, about the good works Of a qualified widow she's brought up children but then you look at the fruit of the children it's not just you know bringing up crackheads bringing up sex heads no look at the formula in the children look at the fruit in the children if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, I'm reading from verse 10, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good works. Now, this widow that Paul is speaking of, these qualified widows, they're not doing these works for salvation, but in salvation and being saved, there are works in obedience to the Lord. He says in verse 11, Refuse the younger widows. I can't believe you said that, Timothy. That's so mean-spirited. You're supposed to love. And Paul says, Refuse the younger widows. In verse 11, For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. See, In the course of time, carnal desires, carnal passions may set in. This is why Paul says, refuse the younger widow. It's not to be mean. Paul is looking ahead. Paul is looking ahead and wants her to not be wanton. Against Christ. You see? The woman who's refused. Oh, I'm a widow. My husband died. And you're telling me you're refusing me, Paul? You're refusing me, Timothy? You're so mean. I understand the arresting nature of that very notion. You know, you're you're, uh, 35 years old and you're a widow. You know, there's the grieving for your husband and, you know, I'm sad that that happened. You know, but, you know, you, you want church support because, you know, you're a widow and you say these things. Oh, the Bible says I'm a widow, so you have to support me thinking the church is a retirement plan. And I'm sorry, you know, I grieve with you, this loss of your husband. But we can't provide the support that you're, the financial support that you're looking for. We can support you in other areas. We can support you in prayer. We can support you, you know, we have, you know, this is the church. But if you think the church is a retirement plan, that's not happening. Oh, Paul, you're so mean. Timothy, you're so mean. Look, I'm 35 year old. I'm a 35 year old widow. You're so mean. But really, what's happening? It's not just like, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, that's not happening. This door is closed because we're mean. No. Even though there's that abrasive nature, it's very arresting to hear truth. But what they're doing. Is they're guarding and protecting her soul. They're guarding and protecting her soul. Because carnal tendencies, carnal tendencies, they are footholds to Satan and things demonic. And against Christ, as we see here in verse 11. Refuse the younger widows, for when they had begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desired to marry. And when this happens and it's against Christ, the foothold is something that Satan exploits even more. Because remember, it was just a little foothold at the beginning. And he exploits it and makes it bigger. And he exploits it even more and makes it worse. When that happens... We see verse 12, having condemnation because they have cast off or despised their first faith. I mean, this is is Paul to Timothy, one-on-one. I mean, in one sense, I want to say, like, we shouldn't even be reading this because it's one-on-one. It's Paul to Timothy, but the Lord leaked it. Because he wants us to know the formula. So that we know who to submit to as pastor. A pastor who teaches, he wants us, the Lord wants us to understand formula so that we know, I'm going to submit to this guy where it is safe. I'm not going to submit to Himenaeus. I'm not going to submit to the grave soakers. You see, the, the Lord wants us to know Formula. It's like, wow, you know, this pastor, he's refusing the young widow. And the Bible says we're supposed to care for widows and orphans. Oh, look, he's so mean. He's so mean. But forward-looking. Paul and Timothy and godly pastors who are forward-looking understand that Satan can exploit this foothold because the younger widow grows wanton against Christ. As we see in verse 11. And they desire to marry. In verse 12, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. Which, to grow wanton. Ultimately, in the long run, against Christ. Remember, Paul, forward-looking. We're not talking about in the here and now. We're talking about a widow who, in the course of time, Begins to grow wanton. How does she reach that point? When she's a widow, her husband just died, freshly dead husband. And you have a widow, in accordance to the world, a qualified widow, according to the world. But according to the church, according to faith, She's not qualified because the younger, there's that little tiny foothold that she can begin to grow wanton and Satan will exploit and he'll make it worse and worse. And we're just like any foothold in with anybody, Satan will look for any tiny foothold. Sometimes Christians give him the foothold. I shouldn't say sometimes, a lot of times Christians give him the foothold. You see? Oh, I have a problem with pornography. Well, you shouldn't have been watching your dirty movies. You see? Oh, I have a problem with alcohol. Well, why are you drinking wine? Oh, I have a problem with drugs. Well, what's up with the crack pipe? Why are you cooking spoons? You see? Oh, I'm addicted, I'm addicted. Okay, well, that's another ballgame. The Bible says how to treat addiction. And not how to treat addiction, or there's healing in the Lord, but I'm talking about somebody who's addicted to sin. And the Bible says separate. Because if a person doesn't want to separate from the sin, that person, by choice, is... Forcing the response of another brother, another sister, who they themselves have to separate from that person. The remnant separates from the leaven. You're so mean, you're so mean. That's what the Bible says. I'm just the messenger. That's what the Bible says. And so all of a sudden we continue in our studies. You know, how does this happen? How, How could a widow... Could it turn out that bad for the widow remember paul is very forward-looking and he's telling timothy look out for these things just like with the deadbeat guy the deadbeat dads who are you know denying the faith and they're worse than an unbeliever when they don't uh, provide for their own households the losers who got to put on their you know get right with the lord put on their big boy pants you know repent put on their big boy pants and go get a job well, there are also loser women too. And so we see in verse 12 we see having con- condemnation because they have cast off their cast off their first faith. Now, in verse 13 we see how it happens. And besides, which is in the Greek hama in the Greek, which is at the same time. So, just like in verse 12, They cast off their first faith, and besides, or at the same time, they learn to be idle, which is they learn to be lazy and inactive. Whoa. So what's happening here? Well, in the course of time, a widow grows wanton, and in the course of time, casting off their faith, and at the same time, learning, learning to be idle, learning to be lazy and inactive, wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies. Whoa. Which is to be a tailbearer, an informant. Excessive ramblings on trivial things to meddle. You know what's very powerful about this? In proper translation, there is also the inclusion of witchcraft. See? Excessive ramblings to be a tail-bearer, busybody, a gossip, which also includes witchcraft. Remember, the once little tiny foothold, it's not little anymore. And it probably started out with benevolence, but benevolence is easily corrupted. So you have a a 35-year-old widow, her husband is freshly dead, and she says, oh, I'm going to be single and walk with Jesus without realizing that the flesh is a powerful force. And in the course of time, her heart changes. Carnal desires start to set in. And Satan plays the long game very well. Very well. I mean, he could get a guy to fall and he can get a guy or lady to fall in 10 seconds or in the course of 10 years. He can play the long game. He can play the quick game. He can play the long game. You see, I mean, if you just look at the first part of verse 11, refuse the younger widow. It's like, this is Paul telling Timothy, when you have the younger widows, refuse them. It's like, whoa, that's, that's kind of harsh. Wow, that's kind of mean. But is it really? Look at what Paul is telling Timothy to look out for. Because this is what can happen. 35 year old, she's a widow. And she says, oh, look, I'm not going to get remarried. I'm not going to get married. I'm going to be single and walk with Jesus. But in the course of time, those carnal passions, those carnal desires start to set in and grow and fester. And not just that. Learning to be idle at the same time, to be lazy and inactive, wandering about from house to house. And in verse 13, house to house. In verse 13, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies. You see, saying things which they ought not. Whoa. And to be a gossip and busybody is to be a talebearer and informant. Excessive ramblings on. Have you ever. I don't watch rea- reality TV. But sometimes, you know, they have the commercials on reality TV, and I can't watch two seconds of a commercial for reality TV. It's such stupid, excessive rambling. I can't stand it. There's like a commercial for like, you know, like a a, a 30-second commercial, a 15-second commercial. And in two seconds, I'm already annoyed, excessive rambling about a whole lot of nothing. But you see that in the church. You say, wait a second. What about Chloe? Because she was an informant to Paul. She those in Chloe's household, look at them. Are they not gossips? Are they not busybodies? Because they were informants to Paul. But wait a second. Look at Chloe's bubble. Chloe's not like the average bear. You see, she was an informant, absolutely. But look at the fruit. Look at the remnant. You know, 2,000 years later, give or take a couple years, we're still exhorted by the witness of Chloe. Because without Chloe and those in her household, Paul found out about it through Chloe and those in her household. You see? Just like in that room. Paul and Chloe together in a room. You have man and woman. Male, female. Adult man, adult female. Alone, together in a room. Do you know how beautiful, do you know how holy that conversation is? No funny business. Nothing dirty. We're talking about people Two people, men, women, not like the average bear. You see? And look at the fruit. Yes, Chloe and those in her household, yes, she was an informant. But look at the fruit of the remnant of Corinth. Post First Corinthians 5. From First Corinthians 6... All the way to the end. And in 2 Corinthians, look at the beautiful fruit of Chloe's witness. She's not like the average bear. You see? But among the remnant, think about what they might have thought about Chloe. Oh, Chloe, you know, her big mouth, you know, here she is. She's gossiping again. And yes, she did inform Paul when you look at the fruit upon the remnant it's holy it's not gossip for the sake of gossip it's not being an informer for the sake of you know gossiping about this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy it's for the Lord for his name that there be no shame brought to the name of our Lord and Paul goes to her male covering, or Chloe goes to her male covering Paul. And that's what's so powerful about understanding the text as Bereans. When you understand the text, context, co-text, Old Testament, New Testament, covenants, rules of engagement. These are things that the Lord teaches us. I mean, The Bible is nothing new. It's been around for a while. Where are the teachers? Where are the pastors to shepherd in truth? Because just like we had earlier, you know, you have the 40-year-old deadbeat talking to, you know, 22-year-old Pastor Timothy. Oh, Pat, look, the Bible says, you know, in verse 1, don't rebuke an older man, but you're supposed to exhort me as father. And, you know, you, you tell me I'm a deadbeat because I don't want to provide for my family. You tell me I'm a deadbeat. You tell me I'm an unbeliever. You tell me that I'm worse than an unbeliever and I'm denying the faith. That's not loving, Timothy. But Timothy's not twisting the scriptures. No, he's standing firmly on the scriptures. The deadbeat is the one who's twisting the scriptures. You see? Just like, you know, like the, in verse 13, you know, you're wandering about from house to house, not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. You could say, well, Chloe was a busybody. Chloe was gossiping. Chloe was an informant. Yes, she did inform Paul. But when you look at the fruit, when you see the impact to the remnant, praise the Lord that she informed Paul. You see, praise the Lord. Chloe's not like the average bear. neither is Paul. And in this special holy bubble, look at the fruit of it in the aftermath in Corinth. And 2,000 years later, look at us today studying these things. You see? Because of Chloe. You see? Beautiful. But the leaven, they probably didn't think too highly of Chloe, but that's levin. Just like you know the, the old the the forty five year old deadbeat, you know the the forty year old deadbeat, uh, you know uh, talking to Pastor Timothy. Oh, you know I'm older than you. Well, it's Levin. I mean, when Levin speaks, you can have a clear conscience because it's Levin. The problem is when people don't understand remnant and leaven. They don't understand formula. And, you know, leaven says, oh, I'm a prophet. Oh, I'm a prophetess. And they speak about this. They speak about that. And, and then you have the unlearned ones who, you know, all of a sudden they have like a guilty conscience. Like, oh, my God, you know, is he right? Is she right? And just like, you know, verse one, do not rebuke an older man. It's like, wow, you know, the, the, the 40-year-old is older than, you know, if you put yourself in Timothy's sandals. You know, like I'm a 22-year-old pastor and Paul says, you know, don't let anyone despise my youth. And I'm not supposed to rebuke an older man and exhort him as father. But here you have this 40-year-old deadbeat, this 50-year-old deadbeat, this 30-year-old deadbeat, and they're older than me. But when he understands formula, it's like, wow, you know, I have a clear conscience before the Lord. Yeah, you're older than me biologically, but biblically, you're a deadbeat. You see? The 45-year-old, oh, Timothy, don't come at me like they were supposed to be loving. Don't tell me that I'm a deadbeat because I don't want to provide for my family. No, biblically, yeah, you're older than me. But, hey, the Bible says you're a deadbeat. See, you're worse than an unbeliever. You've denied the faith. Go get a job, man. You see? And that's what's so powerful about understanding the text. Context and codex, Old Testament, New Testament, covenants, rules of engagement. Just like, you know, yeah, anybody can be a widow. I mean, you know, married whose husband has died. Anybody can be a widow. The world has qualifications for widows. There's 20-year-old widows. There's 30-year-old widows. There's 40-year-old widows. There's widows of all shapes and sizes, of all different kinds of varieties. There's widows all over the place. And the world says, yes, this lady is a widow, this lady is a widow, that lady is a widow, she's 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 a widow. widow, widow, But the Bible says, these ladies are not widows. But this one is. You see? Formula. I mean, verse 11. Refuse the younger widows. When you're not forward-looking and you see a widow being refused by Timothy, you see a widow being refused by Paul and you're not forward-looking, I understand why it's like, wow, well, you know, you're not going to help me. But being forward-looking and understanding that Paul and Timothy sincerely care for your soul and their footholds that Satan can exploit and does exploit. He can make, you know, he plays the long game. A guy can fall in 10 seconds or 10 years. Satan knows how to play the long game. And that's what Paul is avoiding. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. To avoid, you know, watch out for this, watch out for that, watch out for this, watch out for that. Biblical qualifiers. That's why, you know, you say like, you know, Matthew 18 is an excuse for a lot of pastors, a lot of elders They use Matthew 18 as an excuse, like, oh, we're going to govern the church. But if you just teach the Bible? You probably have people leave. Don't expect the megachurch. Don't expect to have hundreds and thousands of congregants. Don't expect to have hundreds of congregants. But expect to have the holy. Expect to have the consecrated. You're not going to be Mr. Popularity. But you will be obedient to the head pastor, Jesus Christ. You teach truth. I mean, if you're a pastor. If you're not a pastor, you know what to submit to the godly. And so we continue in verse 14. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry. Now, you remember our prior studies. If you've been walking with us for a while, it's like, wait a second. You know, in our, in, our, in our prior studies, okay, yes, you know, to get married, but marry in Christ. Remember, we're talking about widows. Husband is dead. We're not talking about divorce where, you know, we have irreconcilable differences and I want husband number two, husband number three, husband number four until I can find the right guy. No, we're not talking about divorce. This is death. Husband is dead. And so which is it? Because Paul also says, you know, he desires that people not marry. Now he says to marry. So which is it? Well, it depends on the woman. Remember, this is Paul to Timothy. It depends on the woman. Are there carnal proclivities that Satan can exploit? That Satan can exploit? Is there a foothold in these, the, 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 this, the, these carnal proclivities? Because if there is, Marry in Christ. Husband is dead. That doesn't mean you don't know, go out and party and go out to, you know, ladies' night and go out to the bars and, you know, look for Mr. Wright. No, in the faith. Marry in Christ. Marry a Christian. See? Where the formula is right not dead husband and then you get married to you know deadbeat oh but he says he's a christian okay and then you look at the qualifiers you see you look at the carnal proclivities i'm at number one paul says don't marry but then number two said paul says get married so which is it? it depends on the woman you see, because if there's aspects of the carnal nature that Satan can exploit. Remember, Paul is forward looking. Timothy is forward looking and he's watching out for take take one. I'm not going to say like widows, plural. Take one widow, a woman. Her husband has died. And, you know, the, the sorrow involved, but, you know, we're not talking about the sorrow right now. Even though it's sorrowful, but you know, when I say this, I'm not, you know, like, you know, okay, it's no big deal that husband is dead. Yes, it's sad. But forward-looking. I mean, if he's a Christian, so, you know, we're going to see him again one day. So, you know, in that we rejoice. So you have a single woman. She's younger. She's a widow, but she's younger. Now you look at the woman. What it work? What is the carnal nature of this woman? And through these proclivities and or tendencies how can Satan exploit those things? Because if there's foothold for Satan, get married again. You see? Now she has a godly Covering and authority that can help her. And I speak of husband number two. Biblically qualified husband number two. Of the flesh. Dead husband. Husband number one is dead. Now husband number two. It's a covering for her. You see? But if she's mature. Walking in the spirit. You know, what are those things that Satan can exploit? What are those footholds that Satan can exploit? It's like, okay, she has none. Praise the Lord. Just like Chloe, hardcore. Hardcore. Chloe's not like the average bear. Lydia, not like the average bear. You see, Phoebe, not like the average bear. Beautiful, beautiful women. It's like, okay, okay. You know, Paul makes his recommendation. Paul makes his suggestion. This isn't a command. Paul says, listen, don't get married. Because there's the better covering of Jesus Christ, the better husband. Now, if you're a widow and you're listening, say you've been walking with us for a while and you're a widow. Well, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know the biblical qualifiers for a husband. You know, and, you know, biblically, who you have to submit, not who you have to submit to, but who you should submit to when the formula is right. That doesn't mean, you know, you know a husband number two. If you're a widow, this is a, I'm not talking about divorce. I have to emphasize that. We're not talking about divorce. Divorce is a completely different, that's handled differently. I mean, divorce, there is no husband number two. You're, you're done. Otherwise, you become an adulteress. The guy becomes an adulterer. You see? We're talking dead. First husband, dead. Okay? We're talking death. Not divorce. Handled differently. So, you have a widow. It it depends. She's carnal. has carnal nature. Okay, you know, yeah, yeah, you need a husband, you know. It's carnal nature and this and that. You need a husband. A godly husband. Where the formula is right. Where it is safe for you to submit yourself to. You see? But if you've been walking with us for a while and you understand formulas, you know what you're gonna find? <laughs> there's
1: <laughs> there's nobody.
0: <laughs> I mean, even if you're a guy and you, you understand formula, you're gonna realize like, man, there's a lot of crazy people out there. Male, female everybody's on their drugs they're on their meds they're on their antidepressants they take their Ritalin you know you have like you know their different politics you have you know whatever this whatever that the antidepressants you have the zombies you have the craziness you're gonna realize oh my goodness there's nobody so yeah man when you understand formula you're gonna realize there's are slim pickings but there's always the better and if, if you're already married you know you know praise the lord it's just a vapor praise the lord But Paul is very forward looking. He's not thinking about in the here and now. He's thinking about paradise. How is this lady with her carnal nature, how is she going to get to paradise? Because yes, she's grieving now, but in 10 years, you know, because of these carnal proclivities and, you know, things of the flesh, she needs a husband. So you know what? Get married make sure the formula's right and you know pray and seek out a a guy but how are we going to get hurt to paradise you see very forward looking because Paul knows that Satan roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour Timothy knows it you see And so we see in verse 14, Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity, opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. You see, she can't be idle. She's not a busybody because she's just busy. Chloe, she was busy with the Lord's business. Paul's reason, I mean, when you look at verse 11, refuse the younger widows. It's not to be mean. I mean, people interpret it as mean, like, what, Paul, we got a widow over here. How come you're not taking care of her? The Bible says care for the widows, care for the orphans. Yes, the Bible says that. But with text, context, and codex, and understanding of covenants, and understanding of rules of engagement, and understanding of formula in matters holy. You see, it's not just a blanket statement like, okay, you know, she's 35 years old. She's a widow. Okay, no. We see here in verse 14, to give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. To give no opportunity to the adversary. Both demonic and in the physical realm when Satan exploits the tiny foothold. Because these are things that are unseen to the human eye, to the carnal eye. They're unseen. You see? You know, something we reflect on quite a bit is Luke 8. The condition of a heart when, you know, the seed is the word of God. Now what happens when the seed goes forth inside the ear? Does it make its way to the heart? And sometimes I wonder when Satan takes holy seed out of a heart that hears the word. I wonder. I wonder if he uses Christian witness to make his case. You see? Where a person can hear the word and in his heart, in her heart, wow, that word sounds so good and It seems like the Bible is true, but then all of a sudden, Satan, in taking the seed out of that heart, starts to point to Christian witness. Well, you don't want to be a Christian because look at that guy who's also a Christian. He's a sex head. He's a drug head. He does the sex and the drugs, the alcohol, the Buddha, the Ouija boards. He worships Mary, all kinds of different things. He's crazy. You don't want that. A lady can be like, wow, that the word of God, it sounds like it's true. and I think God is real and I think Jesus, you know, should I repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord just as this guy says? But then all of a sudden, Satan, you don't want anything to do with Jesus. Look, this other lady, she says she's a Christian. And look at her, she's on her fifth marriage. Look at her, she's on her third marriage. Look at her. She's on her second marriage. First husband isn't dead. She's on her third marriage. Look at her kids. They're all crackheads. And she's a Christian too. Do you want that? I wonder if Satan uses the witness of Christians to make his case for people not to believe. And being forward-looking Paul and Timothy and pastors, the full package pastors, they look out for these things to help the saints. We're not talking about next week into the future. We're not talking about next year into the future. We're talking about paradise. How are we going to get this guy to paradise? Well, he's got his carnal passions, he's got his carnal desires, and you know, okay, get married. You see? The lady, well, she's got her carnal passions, she's got her carnal desire. okay, get married. You see? But then don't forget, (laughs) is there's strings attached, you know, you know. Is it okay? this guy's you know carnal, they got their carnal passions, the ladies' carnal passions, they get married and now they have babies. Now we bring in something new. Millstone, Hello, millstone. You got deadbeat dad that doesn't want to provide for his family? Okay. You open the door to the lake of fire. You see? Don't forget to whom is given much more is required. Being forward-looking, Paul and Timothy, they're looking out for this. Not just thinking about the here and now. You see? It is safe to submit to Paul. It is safe to submit to Timothy. Because in them, the formula is right. We're talking full package. You see, Paul makes his recommendation when he says, you know, he says, you know, like in in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, uh, you know, uh, this is a recommendation. It's not a command, but, you know, I desire that you be like me. Don't get married because, you know, you can please the Lord. But then he says to the married to live as though you're not married so that we can please the Lord. So Paul says he recommends that people not get married. But then he says here in verse 14, I desire that the younger, younger widows marry. Now it depends on the person. What are the footholds that Satan can exploit? What are the footholds that can give an opportunity to the adversary? You see? It's hardcore. That's hardcore. I mean, to be forward-looking as a forward observer, what's it going to be like a week down the road, a month down the road, a year down the road? Scratch that. What's it going to be like? How are we going to get to paradise as one body? That's a pastor. Look at verse 15. For some have already turned aside after Satan. Whoa. In the Greek, it's to turn away to follow Satan. That's what giving opportunity to the adversary does in the long run. That's what opportunity to the adversary, that's what it does. A little tiny foothold. You see, of pastors, the godly ones, the full package ones, the ones where it is safe to submit yourself to. They are very, very forward looking with an understanding of carnal proclivities, the flesh and footholds that can easily be exploited. You see, I mean, we're talking long run. We're talking for the journey because a young widow can start with the greatest of benevolence. And in the course of time, learning certain things, learning to be idle and a gossip and a busy body, giving opportunity to the adversary, and ultimately in verse 15, to turn away and follow Satan. Turn aside after Satan, which translates to turn away to follow Satan. remember they learn to be lazy and inactive with being a gossip and a busybody a talebearer and an informant excessive rambling on trivial things to meddle which also has the inclusion of witchcraft remember There's the inclusion of witchcraft because in the long run, as we see here in verse 15, it can lead to a person turning away to follow Satan, no longer following Jesus, but to follow Satan. What about Chloe? She's with Paul. What about Lydia? She's with Paul. What about Phoebe? She's with Paul. They're not like the average bear. Very special, holy bubble. You see. I mean, you look at verse 11. Verse 11, refuse the younger widow. Refuse the younger widow. I mean, in the present, in the here and now. That's like, whoa, refuse the younger widow. But the Bible says we're supposed to care for widows and orphans. Yes, the Bible says. And you read verse 11, refuse the younger widow. Well, why does Paul say that? Because in the long run, look at what it can lead to. Verse 15. Because this widow, in the long run, can turn away and follow Satan. But even with that, there's a special framework behind disobedience. There's a special framework behind wickedness. There's a special framework behind walking according to the flesh. And when you see these things, remember Paul, one-on-one letter, Paul to Timothy. Paul is saying to Timothy, teach on these things so that the women know. So that the young girls can know. Because they might be married one day. So that the dads and the moms know how to raise their kids and teach on these things. Hey, son, don't be a deadbeat. Hey, baby girl, when you get married, you know, you you just be like Paul, you know, hey, baby girl, you know, Paul says, don't get married, don't get married. Son, Paul says, don't get married. It's just a suggestion. And you know what? I suggest it too, because there's a lot of crazy people out there. Everybody's on their riddle in their you know, there are they're, they're pills for this, there are pills for that, there are antidepressants for here, there are antidepressants for that, there are anxiety pills and everybody's a zombie and bunch of craziness around there. So, you know, Paul makes his recommendation, you know, I, I I I I suggest, I recommend, I desire that you stay single, but it's not a command, just a suggestion. But now the body of Christ knows Paul is saying to Timothy, teach on these things. Look out for these things. You see the deadbeat dad, tell him. You see the deadbeat lady, tell her. You see the unmarried men and women, tell them so that they know. What is godliness? What is pleasing before the Lord? What is pleasing to the Lord? So that they know, a young boy can know, like, okay, then... What the framework could look like for the here and now, but then the young boy can grow and mature, carnally speaking, the Lord, the young boy can grow and become a man, you know, according to the flesh. And when he gets married, knows exactly what the framework looks like so that he can make a choice to honor the Lord. Just like, just like the Old Testament. Moses speaks, okay, balls in your court. You see, Joshua speaks, okay, balls in your court. Paul is saying to Timothy, speak, teach on these things, okay, now the ball's in their court. Let them choose. Let the saints choose. And if they honor the Lord, praise be to the Lord. That's like straight up love feast. That's beautiful. But if they bring dishonor to the Lord, okay, now you got to tell them. Now there's a a way for dealing with leaven. You see? Because leaven unchecked gets worse worse and worse and worse and worse. And you have the defunct pastors, the defunct elders. Where is also found the hireling and the wolf. Where is also found the servant of Satan. And I wonder if Satan uses these things in pulling seeds out of hearts. Where a person, male, female, young, old, can desire a relationship with Jesus Christ. But then all of a sudden, Satan whispers, You don't want to be a Christian. Because look, she's a Christian too. Look at her husband. Look at her crackhead kids. You don't want to be a Christian. If, if that's what Christianity did for her, you want that? Look at this guy with his sex and his alcohol and the, the, the whatever and this and that and Buddha. He says he's a Christian. You don't want to be a Christian, do you? You see? Where are the pastors? Where in the world are the pastors? The saints should know these things because the saints should have been taught these things. But just like with Corinth, you have 10,000 teachers. And Paul says of himself, but one father. And of Timothy, he says, there is no one as like-minded who sincerely cares for your soul. Verse 11 isn't mean at all. Refuse the younger widows because you keep reading and we see why, what it can lead to. Because in the long run, the younger widows, in the long run, if they turn aside after Satan, you know what that means? No paradise. You see? And faithful shepherds want paradise for all. Put the balls in their court. See? We see here in verse 16. <clears throat> In verse 16, if any believing man or woman has widows. Now, this is like if, if there's a parent who becomes a widow or an adult child becomes a widow. So we see if any believing man or woman has widows. So it's like, you know, if he, like you know, uh, uh, dad dies, now mom is a widow. Or, you know, uh, say you, baby girl's an adult now. And like, you know, baby girl's an adult and her husband dies. So she's a widow. So it's like, you know, that's how, verse 16. If any believing man or woman has widows. Let them relieve them. You see, ministry within a family. Ministry within a family, like a biological family. Ministry within a family that is within the church. And do not let the church be burdened. You know how hardcore that is? I mean, just just to even think and know that it is possible, biblically possible, for a church to be burdened. You see? And Paul's saying, don't let the church be burdened. That it, speaking of the church, may relieve those who are really widows. You see? Remember the biblical qualifiers. So, you know, you know, dad dies, now mama's widow. Now, you know, okay, we're going to take care of mom. Baby girl dies, you know, baby girl's an adult, you know, or not baby girl dies. Baby girl's an adult, she gets married, husband dies. Baby girl is young, you're a young adult. But, you know, baby girl, we're going to take care of you. Church doesn't doesn't matter. I mean, like, church church funds, we don't need church funds for this. We don't need church funds. You know what? We got this. That's not said in a prideful, like, you know, we got, oh, we got plenty of funds. No, 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 no. It's not in a prideful way. But this is a man who has counted the cost. I say man for a reason because remember verse 8 if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household you see mom don't worry about it baby girl don't worry about it let's grieve together we're not going to burden the church so that the church can focus and relieve those who are really widows you see order in the fellowship you see pastors 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 with order in the church as prescribed in the bible don't expect the mega church i mean you know you're gonna have like deadbeat guys in the church and you teach about deadbeat guys. Hey, deadbeat dad! You know you got you know your baby girl starving. You know and your your kids are starving. You're 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 a you, deadbeat. You know and you know you're deadbeat. And you know it's, you're worse than an unbeliever. And not just that, you're, you're you're denying the faith, and you're worse than an unbeliever. You know what's going to happen? More than likely, that guy's going to leave because there are churches on every street corner. There are men who will. Whisper sweet nothings in his ear. But you know what they are? They're exactly that. A whole lot of nothing. But when you teach, pastor, when you teach, don't expect the mega church. Expect a tiny church. Expect people to leave. But know this. It's the Lord's church. Keep it clean. It's the Lord's church. And so we continue in verse 17. Let the elders... Now we're not talking about just the old man. You know, the old man. Now we're th- not just... You know, we're, we're talking about elders. Like, you know, overseers in the church. Like the elders' elders. In verse 17... Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. So we're not just talking about qualified elders. We're talking about elders who are different in a good way because they rule well. But then now in verse 17, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine, which is to work hard and who get tired from laboring in word and doctrine. And they're very good at overseeing. Not with an iron fist, but with gentleness and love, understanding formula, understanding sanctuary, understanding love feast, understanding babies and meat eaters and everybody in between, understanding leaven and remnant. And keeping the house of God clean. The formula in themselves right You see? Now, the The leaven would question gentleness and love. Oh, the elder says that I shouldn't do my drugs. The elder says that I can't be a sex head. The elder says that, you know, I can't invite this lady to my house to have sex with my kids. The lady says I can't do my crack. The the, 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 The elder says I can't do my crack. The elder says this. The elder says that. He's so mean. He's so mean. The elder says to refuse the younger widows. But that's leaven. Leaven can say whatever they want. It's leaven. Leaven always questions things holy. Leaven is always opposed to things that are holy. Always. The only time leaven is not opposed to to things holy. The only time. Is with repentance. That's the only time. With repentance. Outside of that, leaven stays leaven. And when leaven speaks, understand it's leaven. I say this so that you can have a clear conscience before the Lord because... For you, as a remnant, when you understand formula, leaven is going to be opposed to all things holy. And when you are holy, leaven will be opposed to you. And when you understand framework and formula and recipes of righteousness, when you understand Levin's going to speak. And without understanding, leaven can even be impactful to your conscience. But with understanding, it's leaven. It's leaven. You see? It's speaking of elders who rule well and they rule well. They're counted worthy of double honor in verse 17, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. Now remember, there's, there's no collective bargaining here. It's not a union. Good elders, you know, it's, it's not like, well, well I've been an elder for 20 years and this guy's been an elder for 10 years. I have seniority. No, no collective bargaining. And for these good elders, those, who rule well and those who labor in word and doctrine. You know what the Bible says? Pay them. Pay them with double honor. Remember, this is Paul to Timothy. Paul to Timothy. Senior Pastor Paul to Junior Pastor Timothy. And there's going to be offerings and tithes and, you know, sacrifices made unto the Lord. When I say sacrifice, it's not like animal sacrifice. It's sacrifice in terms of like, you know, like a uh, uh, from, from pay, you know, the offerings made unto the Lord, financial giving unto the Lord. Now, remember, just like the Old Testament, there's two transactions, two transactions. In the Old Testament, sacrifice would be made. And there's two transactions, a person before the Lord. That's transaction number one. A person unto the Lord. Transaction number two is the Lord unto the priest. Where provisions in the law say, okay, priest, you don't have to go get your food. You don't have to go hunting. You don't have to go to the grocery store. Like, you know, these of these offerings, there's provisions of these offerings that are for you. But those are two transactions. Transaction number one is person unto the Lord. Transaction number two is Lord unto the priest. You See, two transactions. Now, praise the Lord that there are two transactions, because a person can give, like, make sacrifice unto the Lord, but then all of a sudden the Lord can kill the priest because the priest is offering strange fire, and because it's two transactions, you know, the person who gave unto the Lord is, uh, you know, unaffected by the by by the priest, you know, uh, 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 wickedness of the priest. You see, praise the Lord that it's two separate transactions. But the same thing applies in the church age. A person has an offering unto the Lord. That's transaction number one. Transaction number two is provision from the Lord to those in ministry. You see? And Paul is saying to Timothy, For these elders, not just one of the mill elders, the good ones, the really good ones, the ones who, the ones who rule well. Remember, the elders themselves, they have to be biblically qualified. This isn't like, you know, a guy who's just, you know, a, a warm body to fill a position. No, there's biblical qualifiers. And in, in overseer ministry, you know what's also included? Household. So if you're an elder, what's also included in your biblical qualifications is your family. So you got crazy wife, crackhead wife, sex head wife? That's not gonna cut it. You see? You got you know, sex head kids, occult kids, crackhead kids, that's not gonna cut it. You see? We're talking about the elders who rule well. They're biblically qualified, and they rule well. And especially those who labor in word and doctrine. Of them, the good elders. They're counted worthy for double honor. Paul is saying to Timothy, pastor to pastor, one-on-one letter that got leaked. The Lord leaked it so that we can know. Well, Timothy, when you encounter the good elders, pay them extra. No union. No collective bargaining. Not, you know, a guy who's been elder for 10 years and another elder's been there for two years. No seniority. No good elder is based on, you know, the fruit that you see, the abilities that you see. They rule well, they labor in word and doctrine. Those are the good ones. Pay them extra. Worthy of double honor. You see? In verse 18, for the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Now, Paul is referencing the law. In this new covenant truth, and when you read the Old Testament, more than likely the ox refers to pastors and teachers. More than likely. I mean, when, 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 when Jesus says to Paul, you know, before his name changed, when Jesus said to Saul, you know, is it hard to kick against the goads? I mean, you say that to a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knows exactly what is being said. You see? Referring to the ox who kicks against the goats.
1: And death.
0: You know. A Pharisee of Pharisees knows exactly what that means. So many times people say, you know, a lot of Calvinists and Reformed theology people, theory people, they say, like, oh, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit makes you a Christian. And Jesus made Paul a Christian. No. Jesus put a fork in his road the valley of decision right there is it hard to kick against the goat a Pharisee of Pharisees he knows exactly what Jesus is saying and Paul chose well you see it's powerful he says in verse 18 and the laborer is worthy of his wages now this refers to wages for ministry leaders and it is very, very abused today. Very abused today. But in our studies through the pastoral epistles so far, you see that many pastors today, many pastors today are disqualified. You see. But it is true that the laborer is worthy of his wages. It's very powerful because where Jesus says it that a labor is worthy of his wages, where Jesus says it in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, he also says in that same chapter, Luke chapter 10, in that same chapter, but in verse 4, he says, Don't take your money back. You see, because financial support, it's in real time. It's in real time. You talk about a faith builder for pastors, for ministry leaders, for missionaries. Today we have missionaries. Now, I teach from America, and I see this commonly in Western mini- missionaries, you know, missionaries that come from Western lands, like America, Europe. And, you know, when when I see missionaries from other countries, I don't see this Uh, Practically ever, but I see this a lot in missionaries that come from America and Western lands and Europe, you, you know, European countries. Is that you know the Lord is calling me to this country? The Lord is calling me over here, but I can't go unless I have the financial support. That's unbiblical, because biblically, financial support. It's in real time. And sometimes there is no financial support because the Lord is teaching. I mean, that's if the Lord is calling. You see? Because when the Lord says, hey, I want you to go from point A to point B, you know what? When it's the Lord, you better go. When the Lord says, I'm calling you from point A to point B, you better go. sometimes you know missionaries from america i teach from america sometimes missionaries from america oh the lord is calling me over here to this country and i just want to talk with you brother okay number one you know well, yeah sure we can have a conversation let's talk but number one what are you doing here because if the lord is calling you what in the world are you doing here oh okay uh, let, 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 let me cut to the chase the Lord is calling me over here, but I can't go unless I have, you know, five thousand. Unless I can secure five thousand dollars a month. It's like, whoa, where are you going? No, I mean, five thousand dollars a month—that's a lot of money to where you're going. That—that's that, gonna—that—that's that, a lot of money to where you know, the, five thousand dollars goes far over there in that country. So, what's up with the five thousand? Well, I need rent. I need to get a car. And, you know, there's inflation, so accounting for inflation, I need to eat, I need to pay for gas, the rising cost of gas, I need to pay for gas. And uh, I'm going to stay in this, uh, I wanted to stay in this five-star hotel, but I'll I'll, I'll settle for a four-star hotel, and, you know, I need my food, and... I need breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And on top of that, I need my, my health care. I need my provisions for if I get hurt, I can get flown back to the United States. And so I need a, you know, medical evacuation coverage. And then, uh, I, I also have my 401k. I'm going to fund my 401k. And so I need to put money into this 401k to, to, just to help me. So when I'm all done with this, that I have money to retire from. And then we have the guilt trippers. So if you want to be a part of what the Lord is doing. I need the $5,000. Uh, how much would you like to uh, commit? What would your monthly commitment be? Let me see? Hey, missionary, you need to repent. Because biblically, when you see financial support, it's in real time. You see? The Lord absolutely says the labor is worthy of His wages. But it is also written don't take your money back. Because God's provision, it's going to be in real time. You see? And sometimes there's no provision. And the Lord teaches. You see? It's very interesting that when you read Luke 10, Paul wasn't there. And through intimacy, it's the Lord who told him that the labor is worthy of his wages. It's so powerful that it's in real time. And thank the Lord that support is in real time. You know why? Because shepherds can become wolves. Wolves. Somebody is an elder or a shepherd, a ministry leader, and faithful to the Lord. Praise the Lord. The labor is worthy of his wages. He becomes a wolf. Starvation. I mean, the wolf doesn't have to be killed. The wolf dies because of starvation. That's what should happen. Praise be to the Lord. And I speak metaphysically. You know, when I talk about killing wolves and wolves, you know, starving or, you know, wolves uh, that need to get another job because, you know, they're not making ends meet. Praise the Lord that biblically financial support is in real time. Because somebody wants to break off from truth. They cut off support. Biblically. But... But you have these servants of Satan who twist the scriptures, the guilt trippers. They pass the offering plate multiple times in a church service. They pass the offering plate, all this, all They don't want people to understand formula because they don't want people to realize and see that they themselves are disqualified. And meanwhile, they have a steady paycheck. They get their big fat bank accounts they got money in their bag and financial support. It's not just in real time. They got like you know, you know, maxed out four hundred one ks. They got money for this. They got money for that. They get their private jets. They get their limousines. They get their parsonage, multiple parsonage. Wickedness. And these wolves and hirelings. They don't want saints to know formula, so that saints can know. Wait a second. This guy's a wolf. He should be starved. No more financial support. He should be starved so he can die. Metaphysically speaking. You see? That's what should be happening. But no, you have these people who go out for financial support. The Lord is calling me over here and I can't go unless I get $5,000 a month. So do you want to be a part of what the Lord? I mean, what believer, I you know, these guilt trippers, what believer doesn't want to be a part of what God is doing? You see? And so these people, they use the guilt trip. Do you want to be a part of what God is doing? You see? And support is in real time. Not this, you know, $5,000 a month gig. No, how about $0 a month? The Lord says, go over here, you better go. I mean, look, you have these missionaries already right off the bat in disobedience. If the Lord called them, if that's the Lord that is calling them. Already, they're starting out in disobedience. And if they're just freshly starting out in disobedience, it makes me question... Is it the Lord that called them? What is their intimacy with the Lord if they don't understand this? Now you see why when Paul says to Timothy, let nobody be a novice. Speaking of ministry leaders, of course you're going to have novices that are in the field. New believers, the milk drinkers. But when you get into the worker category, let, let them not be a novice. Because they have to understand these things let see. And so we get into verse 19 in closing. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Now, this, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. This is very abused today. Very, very abused. Because wolves use this as their loophole for wickedness. Because a teenage girl can say, Well, the pastor did this, this youth leader uh, uh touched me or molested me or raped me, but then you have these youth leaders and pastors and elders, these so-called overseers. I'm doing my air quotes. Well, you don't have a witness, you don't have you know two or three witnesses, so therefore we don't believe you. We're not gonna press charges because you don't have witnesses. Now. These wolves will burn in hell, rightfully so. They will burn in hell. Don't forget that it is biblically possible for elders and overseers to become wolves. Just like we see in Acts chapter 20, where Paul says, After my departure, the ravenous wolves will come in, and even from among yourselves, you'll become wolves. The same way a widow can follow after Satan. You see how crafty he is? You see how crafty Satan is? He goes after the deadbeat dad. He goes after the widow. He goes after elders. You see all these footholds that Satan can exploit. You see how crafty he is? Where are the warriors? Like Paul, like Timothy, like Chloe, like Lydia, like Phoebe. Where are they? Verse 19 is a biblical truth, but it is highly, highly abused by the wolves today. Because they say, well, you know, you know, they pull the the the, the Matthew eighteen job. Oh, you know, you you need witnesses. So if you don't have witnesses, we're not gonna believe your accusation. You're you're just a little girl. You say this godly man touched you. You say this godly man molested you. We're not gonna believe you because you don't have witnesses. See, and then the parents go away. They think, oh, you know, baby girl just made up this story. I don't know how she got was so descriptive. I don't know how she knew of those things, but baby girl just made up the story because, oh, look, this man of God. He says that there needs two, two witnesses, they need witnesses, two or three witnesses. And the Bible says, you know, two or three witnesses. And so, therefore, we're gonna keep submitting to this guy. Baby girl, we're gonna keep you enrolled in this youth group. And then you have wicked pastors who say, Well, you know. It's Satan in your kid. Your kid is influenced by things demonic. And then parents, they just figure, oh my goodness, well, the Bible says we're supposed to submit to this pastor and so we're going to submit to this pastor and we're going to pray and fast for our kid. The whole time the kid's been molested. You see? And pastors like to shield themselves and they use the Bible to do so. Such sick disgusting freak shows who stand at the pulpit will burn in hell. Rightfully so. Sometimes you know Oh, you're too hardcore, people say, you're too hardcore, that's so mean, that's so mean. Do you see how safe it is? When the formula is right, when you know, and I praise the Lord that these pastoral letters were leaked by the Lord so that we can know, okay, these are the qualifications of a pastor, I mean, here you, you got, you got a, a deadbeat dad over here and a deadbeat dad over here, a deadbeat dad over here, a deadbeat dad over here. And none of these pastors say anything to them. But then we go to this other church and this pastor says, hey, you're a deadbeat. You're worse than an unbeliever. You're departing from the faith. Repent. Get right with the Lord. Go get a job. Put on your big boy pants. Go get a job. Now, from one aspect, it's like, well, that, That's harsh. That's mean. But is it mean? In the grand scope of things, is it mean? When we we're, when we're understand paradise? That's where we're going. I mean, look, like verse 11. Refuse the younger widow. Whoa, Paul, that's so mean. But the reason why is because in verse 15, they might turn after Satan. When you understand, like, you know, Footholds and how Satan can exploit, and you understand the works of the flesh and being a gossip and a busybody and learning to be idle. When you understand these things, now you understand why. You see, a lot of parents expose their children to the wolves. The wolves who kill. Spiritually speaking, metaphysically speaking, but that's what they do. And little children who are victims. And it's the parent who gives them to the wolf. Baby girl, go to this youth group. Baby girl, you're developing as a young woman. Go to this youth group. Look, this godly man, he will teach you. And this so-called godly man is raping her. Oh, baby girl, your demeanor is changing. Baby girl, what's wrong? Let's go to these counseling counseling sessions, baby girl. We're going to go to this pastor. The pastor who's supposed to be overseer and you know head of you know in a church setting head of this youth leader and then the pastor says well you know we need witnesses the the, the baby girl just opens up you know she's developing as a young lady and she says you know what i'm being molested i'm being raped this guy you raped me well do you have witnesses the wicked pastor says the wolf says do you have witnesses Because biblically, Matthew 18 and here in, you know, uh, 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 1 Timothy 5, verse 19, we need witnesses. Where are your witnesses? She has no witnesses. Okay, therefore, we can't accept what you say. Very dangerous days that we live in. And the wolves, they use the Bible to shield themselves for wickedness. They're predators. They stand at the pulpit and they are predators. It's happening. It's happening. Look at all the pastors who molest kids. Pastors who have sex with the youth groups. Adult congregants. A pastor who didn't want to get caught. He was having sex with a boy, molesting a boy. Teenage boy. You know what he did? He cut him up in pieces and puts his torso in a dumpster. A pastor. Dismembered a boy. Because the boy said he was going to come go public. and a pastor dismembers the boy and puts his torso in a dumpster. It's happening. Parents be wise. Yes, it is a biblical truth. To submit to a pastor. But you better understand. What a pastor is. Because a pastor. Is not the freak show. That's what the wolf is. You better understand. For the sake of your children. I mean for the sake of your soul but. Don't forget the millstone. And today we have parents who are sacrificing their children to the wolves. And the whole time they think they're living in holiness when it is really wickedness. Praise the Lord that the Lord leaked these letters. Paul to Timothy and the Lord leaked them so that we can understand the formula. Who to submit to? This guy, it's safe to submit to him. This guy, it's safe to submit to him. This guy, it's not safe. This guy, not safe. This guy, freak show. This guy, freak show. This lady, freak show. This lady, freak show. You see? How do we identify? Because the Word of God shows us, the Lord teaches us. You see? And so we continue in verse 20. Those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all. Who does this? Elder and non elder alike, those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all. Who does that? Very few. Rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. You know how that translates? The rest, the remnant. That the remnant may fear. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is a one-on-one letter. Paul to Timothy. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Watch out for these things. Be on the lookout for these things. Be on guard for these things. Because you, you're going to paradise. As long as you're abiding in Christ and you're teaching truth, you're going to paradise. And when you teach truth and you abide in Christ and you, uh, 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 as overseer, when the formula is right in you, you save yourself and those who hear you. You see? It is safe to submit to Timothy. And so we continue in verse 21. I charge you before God or in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe, which is to obey, watch, and guard, that you observe these things without prejudice. Without prejudice, which is no prejudging. Without prejudice, no prejudging. Because consider an elder. Consider an elder, somebody who's been a Christian for 40 years and a person who's been an elder for 20 years. And this elder is molesting a child. And Paul is telling Timothy... Do these things without prejudice. Who cares if he's an elder? Doing nothing with partiality. Remember, God is no respecter of persons. Neither are his servants. You see, holiness has a specific formula. Because elders and pastors, they get away with murder. Because they stand on a title. Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, I'm an elder. Oh, I'm a godly man. I'm a prophet. I'm an apostle. Even the women too. I'm a pastor. I'm an elder. I'm an overseer. I'm a ministry leader. I'm a prophetess. You see? A lady says, Oh, I'm a pastor in accordance to the word of God? That's impossible. That's impossible. You can't, you're female, you cannot be pastor. Biblically. You can call yourself pastor, that's nice. But according to the word of God, nope. You see? And Paul is telling Timothy, watch out for these things. Guard for these things. No partiality and, 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 do, and do these things without prejudice. See? Elder, co pastor, who cares? The head pastor, Jesus Christ, he is the one we submit to. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. And you do these things, Timothy. I charge you, he says in verse 22, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. Observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Because a lot of pastors, they presume holiness. Oh, I'm a pastor. I'm an elder. I'm a prophet. I'm an apostle. I'm a bishop. I am holy but when you understand formula no, you're not holy you're wicked an elder is going to molest children that's not holiness that's wickedness and then you have pastors who try to save face well we're not going to call the police we're not going to call the police because these are church matters no, pastors, elders who molest kids hello prison you see Saving face. Foolishness. God is no respecter of persons. He sees the heart. He sees the mind. Remember, Amos, I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. And the Lord, A, you're my guy. Just like the Mary. Mary, you're my gal. Paul, Phoebe, Chloe, Timothy. Silas, Titus, you're mine. I'm gonna use you. You see, because the Lord sees. In verse twenty-two: Do not lay hands on anyone hastily. You see, people treat laying hands like a magic wand. You know, I hate to say that, and you know, I I, I I don't like saying that because you know, magic, like the dark arts, things of the occult. I don't like that. But that's how people treat laying hands. People treat it so like it's a magic wand. Oh, lay hands on you, and you know this is gonna happen, and this is gonna happen, and because when it doesn't happen, they fake it. They treat it like a magic wand, but it's not. And Paul is saying to Timothy, don't lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. You see? No not share in people's sins. Oh, can you lay hands on my son? Never mind the fact that he's on crack, but, you know, just do it. No, don't, don't. Paul's saying, no, don't, don't share in their sins. Don't just lay hands hastily. He says to Timothy, keep yourself pure. Remember, one-on-one. Pastor Paul to Pastor Timothy. Timothy understands formula. Trained up in the ways of righteousness. Only the clean can clean. He knows all about. Abodah, Abodah Mishkan. He knows all about it. Now, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, what in the world are you talking about? It's Hebrew. Listen to our study through Leviticus. You'll understand more. You see? He continues in verse 23. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and for your frequent infirmities. You see... What happened with Timothy is that he got the sickies rather frequently. He got the sickies frequently. Paul says, use a little wine. Use a little wine. Now, I mean, when you're not feeling well, sometimes you know I'm not feeling well. I get the sickies from time to time. Not often. I mean, now that I think about it. It's been a while. Sometimes when I get the sickies, I'll drink some NyQuil. You know, the the nighttime, sleepy time, whatever, so you can sleep better. That's old school commercials. I'll take some NyQuil. It's like, like Timothy, you know, he got the sickies. His frequent infirmities. And Paul's saying, use a little wine. Don't just drink only water, but use a little wine. Now, this verse is widely used among the winos today. Now, the winos use this verse to excuse their addiction. And Paul, you know, they they, they make these excuses while Paul says it. Have have you ever talked to a wino in the church and they say, well, you know, Paul says drink wine, so, you know, therefore drink wine. But remember, this is a one-on-one. This is Paul to Timothy. Now, Remember, formula. Paul and Timothy are not like the average bear. Previous chapters among overseers, you know, heavy things against wine, against alcohol. Being given over to wine and strong drink. And here Paul is saying, don't drink only water. But use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. And you have people today. Well, you know, I'm going to go ahead and get drunk because Paul says, you know, go ahead and drink a little wine. Paul, you know, I'm going to have this nice meal and I'm going to drink some, you know, my my chablis, and I'm going to drink this and that, and my little red wine, my white wine, and this, and you know, zinfandel, this and zinfandel that, and they make these excuses trying to excuse their own addiction. But when we get into addiction, that's a different ball game. You see, addictions, alcoholism. And I say this as a former alcoholic. The Bible says to separate from those who are under addiction, sexual addiction, alcohol addiction, drug addiction. You see. Now there is healing in the Lord from addictions. But if someone's going to play games with the Lord, That's a different ballgame. It opens the door. It's it's treated a different way. You see? Because now that person is leaven in the camp. And so you have the winos of today, you know? Oh, Paul says drink wine, so I'm going to drink wine. Paul says drink wine, so I'm going to get drunk. Paul says drink wine, so I'm going to have scotch. Paul says drink wine, so I'm going to have whiskey. You see? Fools. They don't understand that for 14 years, little Timmy, Raised in Paul's bubble. Learning the ways of righteousness. Only drinking water. You see. Doesn't want to touch wine. He doesn't want to touch wine. So much so. Knowing that for his stomach's sake. And his frequent infirmities. That. A little wine would help. And he doesn't want to do it. And it's not just Joe Schmo telling him, Hey, you know, have a cup of wine. Have a glass of wine. No, this is Paul. His spiritual father. Paul, of Timothy, his spiritual son. And it's Paul who said in this very, very holy, special bubble that little Timmy was raised in. And it's Paul who's saying, listen, don't just drink water now. Use a little wine. Now, it's not use a little wine and, you know, down the whole bottle. It's not a little wine, you know, uh, to go with your meal. No, the purpose of it is for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. You see? Not a six-pack every night. You see how beautiful this is? Not being given over to strong drink, but for his stomach's sake, frequent infirmities. And in his conscience before the Lord, not wanting to touch alcohol, rightfully so, because there's biblical qualifications for overseers and not being given over to alcohol. And being so hardcore in a beautiful, lovely way that he only drinks water. And Paul knows this. Paul knows that you know, you know, you're gonna you go, you know, be, become an alcoholic now. No, Paul knows. Saying, "Listen, a little wine for your stomach's sake, not for flavor, not for this, not for a nice pairing, not a six pack every night, not this, no." There's a purpose for it. Get some nice rest. You can sleep. Instead of tossing and turning, you can get some rest. You see? It's so beautiful. When you understand formula, you see this tender care of Paul unto Timothy. Training him him up in the ways of righteousness. Pouring into him new wine remember new wine only comes from new wine skins and so we see here in verse 24 <clears throat> in verse 24 some men's sins some men's sins are clearly evident preceding them to judgment you see the fr- rotten fruit reveals plenty People say, oh, we're all sinners. We all sin. And I get it. You know, I get it. Yes, we, we're, we're, we, we sin. In these earth suits, you're going to sin. But sometimes people say, oh, we're all sin. You know, we all sin. And sometimes people say that as an excuse to sin. In these earth suits, you're never going to be sinless. You nor me, we're never going to be sinless, but we can sin less and less and less and less as we grow and mature in Christ. But today people say, oh, we're all sinners, and they use that as an excuse to sin. Don't do that. And with some men, sin is evident clearly. And their sin precedes them to hell, as is written here in verse 4, preceding them to judgment. And I'm going to say something a little hardcore. I see this the most, the most, with ministry leaders. Because sometimes people sin and they're just stupid. I meant like, you know, like, you know, a a, a child spills a glass of milk, a child spills a glass of some juice, a child, you know, drops this, a child drops this. Well, they're, 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 they're children. What do you expect? And in the same manner, sometimes people sin because they're just straight up stupid. But when a person knowingly sins, that's a different ball game. I mean, sometimes there's sin because a person's stupid and doesn't know he's an idiotess without understanding. Which is understandable. Still needs to be addressed in, addressed in a holy manner according to the Word of God. And truth needs to be taught so that the ball's in their court and the person can make the choice and repent and get right before the Lord and get cleaned up so that they're not stupid anymore. And moving on to perfection, no longer idiotess. But sinning knowingly is a little different. It's premeditated. And when I say I see this the most with ministry leaders, I speak of pastors, elders, teachers, worship leaders, youth pastors, those in ministry. It's a little different. You know why? Because they know. They're still stupid because of the choice they made to sin. And in no way, shape, or form am I trying to excuse sin. But they knew, the ministry leaders. Because, you know, a a, a baby can spill juice because, you know, they're a baby. They're a child. They got the balance. They got all kind of, you know... uh, um, Muscle factors, brain factors, motor skills. They got all these factors in place. They just have, you know, they don't realize that, you know, this grape juice, it's going to stain the carpet. They don't, they don't factor in these things. They're learning. But when an adult does it. Knowing all these, having the motor skills, knowing that it's going to stain, knowing this and they do it on purpose. you figure what well, way it is it's the same the baby spilled the juice and you know the 30 year old spilled the juice well with the baby is it's it's excusable but with the 30 year old there's more factors involved because he has what the baby doesn't have you know motor skills understanding knowing that the staining and all factors in play Because when you see sin knowingly happen, where a person knows, and I see this the most in ministry leaders. Now we get into Hebrews 6 territory, where The Bible says in Hebrews 6, it's impossible to restore such a person. You see, pastors who are unfaithful to the Lord and unfaithful to their wife and they commit adultery and then they guilt trip the wife and the wife forgives the husband now at the mere instance of forgiveness you might go wow praise the lord you know she forgave her with the husband and you know everything is is restored but in the course of time you talk to the wife one-on-one and the wife says it feels like i'm married to satan Because there was sin committed knowingly. I mean, the fool, the the, the milk drinker commits sin, that's one thing. It's dealt with, it's handled in one manner. But when a pastor does it, when an elder, when a worship leader, when a ministry leader does it, one who knows... It's a little different ballgame. In some cases, a lot different. Because the door to Hebrews 6 opens up, where to re-crucify Jesus Christ over and over and over and over, it cannot be done. And it's impossible to restore such a person. You see, some men's sins precede them and when their sin precedes them understand that with some men they're on their way to hell where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth that's where they're going and the fruit is evident the hardness of heart Is evident. Not just hardness of heart, the stone hearts. It is evident. When you look at the fruit, when you look at the demeanor, when you look at the nature of a man, the fruit is clearly seen. Be wise. Be wise. Because these are things that we're going to study more in depth when we get into the writings of Peter. Because Peter writes on such things. Wicked men. Remember Paul wrote in Galatians, the pseudodophos? delphos they present themselves as brothers, but they're not. They're acting. They're playing a part. They're the hypocrite. And here in verse 24, some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow later. You see, the rotten fruit is not yet seen, but it will be made evident. But the opposite is also true in a beautiful way. Verse 25. The good works, likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident. You see, that's the good fruit. And those that are otherwise, now we're going to the opposite side again, the bad fruit cannot be hidden. They will be revealed in time. You see? And that's the beauty of formula, among other things. when you understand formula, you can see the fruit. You know what to look for. You know who it's safe to submit yourself to. You know who it's unsafe to submit yourself to. And speaking of these good works that are clearly evident and the opposite, the bad fruit and the bad works... Which cannot be hidden. Yes, they will be revealed in time. These are very, very sobering truths. Remember, this is worker to worker. Senior Pastor Paul to junior Pastor Timothy. Worker to worker. If you're listening and you're in the field. Remember, we make the distinction between field and worker. Remember our study in 1 Corinthians when Paul says, You are the field. You guys have it. Great. You guys are, you know, us, we're the workers and we're the scum of the earth. That's what Paul says of himself. And that's what we're looking at. Worker to worker. Paul to Timothy. But if you're in the field, rejoice. Because the full package pastors, they fight for you to have still waters and green pastures and they watch out for the wolf and they kill wolves metaphysically, but that's what they do so that you can taste and see that the Lord is good. We're going to end our study here. Lord willing, pick up in the next chapter next week. But to the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.